This, this is a production of Dirty Mo Media. Media. Hey, everybody, man. That's got me pumped up. Whoa, coming in hot. Dale Jr. for the Dale Jr. Download. Co-host Mike Davis is here. Producer Matthew Dillner. Social media expert Leah Marie Vaughn. Jimmy Johnson is our guest today. Y'all fired up? I am. Did that start? Start? Get you going? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Can't fun. come in soft that way. No, I mean, Dale didn't come in soft either. <laughs> I'm trying to desperately reach for his level. He's like, Monday, Monday. <laughs> Scared the crap out of me. Sorry. So we had a big weekend, uh, Indianapolis cutoff race, uh, pretty exciting race. And what is it, man? It's not uh, – it, it, every every year it seems like that by the time we get about 30 laps from the end, half the field's gone. A lot of the good guys. Uh, there's a lot of crashes yeah. in, those, in, the, in the race at Indy. And, and the you know, this year was no different, but the years before were the same way. The year that um, – Casey Kane won it. Man, there's a lot of issues on restarts and so forth. Took out a lot of guys. And just thinking about back through races, uh, it's been pretty interesting Yeah, to, to, to see that at Indy. You'd think that that would race much like kind of Pocono, where there's not tons of attrition and guys getting crashed out. But it doesn't seem to race like Pocono at all. It races more like Daytona and Talladega in the Xfinity and the Cup Series. We're seeing big drafts down the straightaway, big runs coming from guys, opportunities to make two and three wide passes. Um, and taking big risks and racing side-by-side side through the corner, which is making guys get loose underneath each other, which caused the majority of the wrecks this weekend. Um, and I think that's just a trend, uh, you know, that we've seen throughout the season with the new rules. Now, I don't even call them new anymore, but the rules for this year uh, got, has changed the way guys race, Mike, and the fans should be celebrating in the streets because years ago, uh, even last year, when a guy caught you, you really didn't race him that hard. If he got underneath you, you kind of let him go. There wasn't a lot. It wasn't very comfortable to race side by side through the corner, and it slowed both of you way down. Uh, and so you kind of let the guy go, and you knew that if you caught him, you was probably going to have an easier time getting around him the next time. Uh, there was a lot of nice driver etiquette going on out there, and it kind of sucked as far as viewing that, watching that. Now, it was on, on the racetrack, it was nice when he caught a guy and he wasn't hard on you. But watching it wasn't a whole lot of fun. Well, um, it, I would imagine it would be even harder to call it, like radio style that well, way. Yeah. Well, you, I guess so, yeah. But um, well, You don't know so? Well. You were doing it. Yeah. I thought I had, it was a pretty exciting race last year at that track. But I'm just saying, in general, every weekend, the, meth, the, the, the mentality and the driver etiquette has changed. And we saw more of that this weekend where guys race each other into the corner side by side. Right. They're not letting each other go by. You do not want to give a position away to a guy because he is not going to give it back to you later in the race. It is hard to pass. That sucks. But it's also a good thing because now guys aren't wanting to get past. Right. Right? They don't want to give up a spot, and we're seeing them run through the corner side by side. It's creating frustration. It's creating contact. It's creating drama. And uh, so the fans should be really happy with what they've been able to see over the last several months. And – just a really interesting race. Kevin Harvick dominated it. Now, he didn't. He wasn't the best car all the time, but in the early parts of the run, when the tires were good and in cool and overcast conditions, again, where the tires have good grip, uh, he, he was dominant. He could drive away. Late in that race, it was perfect conditions for him. He had the clean air. He had a cool overcast racetrack, relatively new tires, and he was, gonna, he was just going to drive off, and he did. But at the end of the long runs... 
Kyle Larson had the best car. He drove up through there and could pass guys on old tires. The only problem is, is that, you know, that race is going to come down to late yellows and short runs. It's mm-hmm. going to come down. It ain't going to come down to a long run. So that was the, uh, that was the uh, disadvantage for, for Kyle Larson. Also, he got loose and, and got into the fence, but um, had he been out there, I still think Harvick would have beat him. Did you think Blaney might have had something that had that caution not bit him? Because he, he had passed Harvick he, for a lead. Harvick chose incorrectly to take the inside he did. line. I didn't know why he did that. Well, but. he was watching the last several restarts, and, and he said – quote or or he said the outside got dirty i'm not talking i don't understand whether he's talking about the groove itself as in uh, there's you know there's rubber build up and so forth on the track that he didn't like or whether he meant that the driver etiquette and the, ru- oh. the drivers were getting rough i don't know um but he chose the inside line and uh learned very quickly that you know he didn't want to be down there on the next restart so uh yeah Blaney had taken the lead and and if you can get the lead in these cars with these big giant spoilers on them you can use that to your advantage basically taking the air away from the guy behind you going wherever he's going and you don't have to go far on Indy it's pretty much one crew racetrack Mm -hmm. so wherever you're going to run that's where Bouts is running there was there were you know there were some great opportunities for guys to get runs on each other and make passes down the straightaways depending on how your car was trimmed out you could see Bubba Wallace who had an amazing run that finished in third place this weekend he had the car set up to really have great handling in the corner, but that was a disadvantage on the straightaways. And, and you could see how he was getting uh, challenged by Blaney and a couple other guys at the end of the straightaway. He, he had to get really aggressive and, and defensive uh, to maintain his position because those guys could run up on him so well down the straightaway with their cars being a little more trimmed out. Um, so there was there was a dynamic there that's pretty interesting with this with with this year's cars um, where you'll see guys qualify really well, but maybe not race as well because their cars are set up to run well alone. They're trimmed out, but then when they get into the race and in traffic, they struggle. Now, Kevin Harvick didn't have that problem. He was right. fast by himself and in traffic. But, uh, you know, it's it's been pretty interesting. It was a fun race to call. Uh, I, I didn't have as much fun calling the Pocono uh, radio style. And let me tell you why, all right, because – about 50 laps to go in the race, my bus was leaving the track, and the door came open on the side of the bus. And I'm right over – did I talk about this on the show? No, so, you told me about it, but I, I didn't right. know if you would bring this up on the show, but you are. This I've had a good time doing radio style at Watkins Glen. I had a good time doing it this weekend at Indy, um, but I did not have a good time at Pocono. All right? And we're calling the race. I'm over the tunnel on the top of a billboard, right, directly over the tunnel, talking about the race. Blah, 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 blah. Here they come. Here they come. And uh, there they go. So my bus leaves the track after we get ha- past halfway. There's no point in him staying there. He can get on to the next town, right? And that's what he likes to do. As he's driving through the tunnel, one of the doors in the bays of the truck of the underneath the uh, the living quarters, the bay door came open on one side, and it ripped the door off going through the tunnel. So he pulls over uh, outside the track, literally 50 feet away from me, to fix this. To sort of he has to get the door off. And figure out a way to hold everything in position and get things out from under the bus. He's got he's got like an hour and a half job here trying to organize this bus to be able to get down the road. He's drove to Walmart and got a piece of plywood and cut it and put it over this this hole in the side where the door was. That's what he ended up doing. But all this is happening with 50 laps to go in the race. So I'm watching the race, trying to call action, and then looking over my shoulder going, what in the world is going on with this bus? <laughs> right. I don't have any binoculars. I can't really see what's happening with it. Yeah. I don't really know what's going on. You didn't know if on. he's been in a wreck. I'm up there with the MRN guy. He's got 
he's calling the race on radio. He's got binoculars. And I'm like, hey, man, you see what's going on with that bus? Because I can see him looking at it. And he's like, it looks like a door store. Oh, man, that sucks. And uh, He didn't know it was yours. No. Well, he probably <laughs> did, but we did not discuss that. Yeah. Um, I didn't think it was important to let him know that it was my bus. <laughs> but, uh, God, for the last 50 laps of that race, I was not you weren't in the able race. to focus. Yeah. Not at all. It's so, hard. Well, rewatch it, and you'll, maybe you'll find that more entertaining. No, now, no. That, now that you have that knowledge. Well, no, I knew about that because I know that it bothered you at the time, and that would be very difficult to call a race radio style. You're not used to radio style yeah. and have your your property uh, out there destroyed within 50 feet of your <laughs> eyesight. Yeah, that would be yeah. a that would be a inconvenience. I was like, oh, I was, I was done. I so, was checked out. So fortunately, you didn't have that situation at Indianapolis, no. so it was much better. Yeah, and we, uh, you know, the we – We've talked about the crowds in Indianapolis way back when, uh, you know, we first started going there. They were selling the place out, filling up the grandstands over in turn three where I was at. Uh, last year when I was at that uh, perch in turn three, there were maybe a couple dozen, maybe a hundred people in those grandstands where I was at. Nobody. I, I remember. I, had the whole I was place, one. Yeah. yeah. I had, had, we had the whole place ourselves, right? Because it had rained. I mean, this was like on a Monday or Tuesday. Yeah, but still, there was nobody there. was there. nobody there, was yeah. your point, yeah. And this weekend, there were a couple thousand people over there where I'm at. There were people that had, you know, it was great. It was good. It was a good improvement. And, you know, I don't know if people assume that NASCAR is just going to, boom, one day have uh, 200,000 people show up to the Indy race overnight from year one year to the next. I don't know what people think is going to happen, all right? But if you watch the uh, stock market or anything else that sort of has its ups and downs on a regular basis, the stock market will be a good thing to, to use as an example because it does go up and down on a regular basis. The, the drops are sudden. Mm-hmm. Yeah? And, and the climbs back up uh, are, are sometimes slow and methodical. Yeah, especially if it's sustainable. Right. If you have some big spike, it's not sustainable, and everybody no. knows that. Yeah. Right. And same so, thing for this. Same thing for NASCAR and, and, and our, our attendance woes. I think we're turned. I think the corner has been turned. I think we turned it earlier in the season, and I think we're trending back in the right direction. We certainly have a great product on the racetrack, and we have a lot of great storylines and, and, <clears throat> and drama and personalities in the sport. And uh, But I, I'm, I'm seeing little, the numbers are a little bit better on TV. The numbers are a little bit better in the grandstands. And, I mean, Darlington was amazing as far as how people turned out to watch that yeah. race. We had a 20% increase on viewership in the Xfinity race. Uh, we had a pretty good number for our cup race, considering it was at 2 o'clock in the morning when it ended. I just feel like things are going in the right direction. But people still uh, will say, ah, that place was empty. I don't know what you're watching. I don't know what race you're watching. What nobody there. That's bull crap. There were more people there this year. It ain't gonna, they're not gonna, you know, 200,000 people aren't gonna show up next year. That's never gonna happen. It's gonna be a gradual increase, and uh, we're gonna, we're gonna gain those fans back just a little at a time. So I was very happy to see the increase in, in, in fans that showed up. Uh, I thought they saw a great race. I asked them as I got down out of the perch, I oh, said, Did, did y'all like the race? And they did. The only thing they did not like was NASCAR not throwing the green flag at the end of stage two. Well, I'm we one late, of them. We had a late yellow. I'm one of them. And we had a few laps left. Uh, there was a, one single piece of debris on the right. racetrack. Right, that off was turn the problem. Two, all right. And, uh, and they had a chance uh, to go back green. We had a lot of things going on. We had, we had playoff bubble contenders in, in, in several positions in and around the top ten that could change the, the way the playoffs were going to shape up. Uh, and it was just necessary to get back to green. What we didn't know is that 
Once they cleaned up that one piece of debris off of turn two, they found another piece. They didn't tell. We didn't. We went. We didn't know that from NASCAR. In the moment, we didn't get to say that on the broadcast. But that was NASCAR's reasoning for not throwing. I, I still, yeah. I'm still frustrated because I think you know, hey, it's a piece of debris. Get the damn piece of debris off the track. Let's go. I mean, how hard is it to pick a piece of debris up? But I'm still a little frustrated. I still think they could have got back to green, and uh, I think it was it was tough because then you got the you got the stage break, which is an extended caution. So now we're not we were under caution for five laps to end the stage, and then we got extended cautions between the stages. So I mean, we're just sitting there with nothing to do, right? Fans have nothing to watch, but um, and the fans at home too. They don't have all the answers. They don't know that they found another piece of debris. So that's a little frustrating moment in the race. But otherwise, great event. Um, how about that tire barrier off of turn two? Brad Keselowski hit that wall. It was a very, uh, you know, it was a very odd and, sh- and, and, and rough angle to be going into a wall. But one of the things that I noticed that was really interesting about that crash is that they had that giant tire barrier and they had it spaced off the wall, like five or ten feet. I thought that was brilliant. Something so simple. Simple. Something so simple and, and really unrecognizable or nothing that you would pick up on really made a huge difference in that impact, lessening that impact. It, gave, it allowed that, that tire wall a little give before yeah. it ever got to that concrete wall. Luckily, he didn't hit it hard enough to ever really absorb all of that energy and distance to that wall. But what was his problem? Did he, did Brad? he, did, did he voice did he voice some displeasure afterwards? I think I he think did. that he just doesn't like the angle of that wall. It's def, it's definitely a bad angle. I mean, so he wasn't could, complaining about the tires no. because the tires saved his life in no. that case. Yeah. I mean, in, if they were had, well placed. If, well, if he didn't hit, if he doesn't hit the he could you'd never want to go into a wall dead head on, right? And it, you could potentially do that there in that case. But I think with that tire barrier there. It was really smart. I, I'm just so there. I know it's not rocket science, but something so simple as to space that barrier off that wall. We, you know, you go to other race racetracks and you see tire barriers right up against the concrete. But in this case, they had it spaced off the wall. Brilliant by the track. Really helped Brad sustain a much lesser of an impact. The hardest impact of the, of the oh, weekend. Landon. Landon Castle. Oh my gosh! Oh. I texted him immediately. I mean, I knew he he's he he would get his phone in his hands uh, as soon as he got out of the infield care center. But I was scared to death for uh, his health in that moment. I will be honest. It, um, it was vicious. It was a hard, vicious. hard crash. Uh, you're coming down the front straightaway wide open into that corner. You don't really use tons of brake going in there. Um, and the angle that he hit is just the worst f- physical angle. Uh, you know, It's just a bad, bad deal. And luckily, he says he's okay. I haven't talked to him today, but I talked to him yesterday after he uh, got sorted out and uh, says that he was fine. Uh, Denny's hit didn't look very good in mm. practice. We didn't have a great uh, uh, we didn't have a great look at it uh, as far as our camera angles. But uh, it's good to see him okay. Good to see Brad stop everybody and and allow Denny to get out of his car and escape yeah. from that fire because that thing was burning up pretty quickly. So. Um, and just a lot of hard hits. I thought, man, the two car, the two and the 20 in the Xfinity race. Yeah. That was such a hard hit for Reddick. Oh, man. Just Let me tell to- you another scary one. Yeah. It, this one is close. I, it, it, nothing happened, so people kind of gloss over it. But that incident on pit road where Jimmy Johnson's pit crew yeah. had Bubba Wallace coming, you know, Chase got turned oh, yeah. on pit road. They were so that was close very to scary. taking out Jimmy's pit crew there. Yeah. I was, oh, it was so uh, nerve wracking to see that, but so glad that everybody's okay. But, man, 
all that's to say, there were just some really close calls and hard hits in this weekend yeah. uh, to all all across the board. Well, you got a, I got a straightaway nearly a mile long, and you're going into a 90-degree flat corner. There's nothing that's going to slow you yeah. down if you have any trouble. And, and their corner speed, mid-corner speeds, are up because of this. Pa- you know, the rule package there in both the Xfinity and the Cup, the cars go through the peak middle of the corner quite a bit faster uh, than, you, than they typically would. Um, so it's just it, – it was pretty nerve-wracking. Luckily, though, it seems everybody's uh, everybody's you know got out and everybody's okay and gonna be able to go to the racetrack next week and race. Did you enjoy the playoff uh, points battle as, throughout that race? Or you know, with Jimmy wrecking, that sort of took it down from four to three. Yeah. Suarez had his accidents, uh, or he, he'd brushed the wall or something, so it really became a two horse yeah. race, which is that's what they were fighting for. I it? enjoyed uh, Bubba. Bubba was in tenth at one point, and he drove in a matter of just a few laps up to third or fourth place. Passing. Oh, he was so fast. And I was uh, hollering. I was like, "Yo, we got to, we got look at Bubba, look at Bubba. We got to get the Bubba. We got to oh, get the oh, Bubba." Oh, you're saying you were hollering yeah. on the on the I was backup, holler- Yeah, I was hollering. Radio. I was hollering to my booth mates and so forth to like Bubba's making moves. We need to get on him quick, you know. And we're covering a lot of stories. There was so much going on in that race, and we did get the Bubba, and was able to talk about him. The um, yeah, you know, we covered the bubble points battle all day long. I was hoping that maybe a guy like uh, Matthew Benedetto would get up there and uh, maybe give us an opportunity to talk about a surprise or a shock winner that was going to really you know, come out of nowhere and take a take a playoff spot, but that didn't materialize. Um, Ryan Newman, just typical Ryan Newman, very methodical. They did a really amazing job in the first stage to be able to acquire some points. And, and they're not a stage point getting team. Mm-hmm. They don't qualify well enough. Uh, to to put themselves in position to get stage points, to finish in the top 10 in the first stage. They don't. They've got one top 10 starting position all year. And so if you can't qualify in the top 10, it's very difficult to get that track position on the track, and they haven't really you know, been able to, to – they've got way far less stage points than Jimmy Johnson, uh, than Boyer, and Suarez. So they're a team that goes out and gets the end result, gets the top 10, gets the eighth place finish every single week. And that's what they did again this weekend. And they've made that work um, through methodical uh, prodding along throughout the event to put themselves in position. And kudos to Ryan Newman. I'm going to tell you, man, that team came in last year. They were awful. They were 25th, 28th, 20. They would go to places like Martinsville and run freaking almost dead freaking last. Mm It was awful, and I really did not expect things to get a whole lot better. After what you know, after what I'd seen out of Ryan at the at RCR over the last couple of years, I just didn't think this was anything, if if at all, lateral move for him. I, I really didn't think that. I was like, all right, I don't know how. I don't know if that six car is very good, and he hasn't been very good, and this just doesn't seem like a great marriage. I don't understand it. But man, was I wrong. They have been – I know that he's, you know, he's not into top ten in points. I know he's not won a race, but dang, has he turned around the performance of that team. You can't overstate it. No. Uh, just impressive. And now that he's in, this thing sets up so well for him to just bulldog his way through. I, we'll I mean, see. Well, like, I mean, he, now he's you start need, off with just a five-point separation between yeah, 10th and 16th. He just, I, I know, but he's, these eighth-place finishes without collecting multiple stage points – and he's got to be able to qualify better. They've got to be able to qualify better to put themselves in that top ten to attain them stage points in round in that first and second stage. I just don't think these eighth place finishes will get him in the next round. He's barely hung on to that fifteenth, sixteenth place in mm-hmm. points as it is. All right, so he is very vulnerable in this first round. 
So we'll see. Every the one thing that you can hang your hat on is that all these teams, if you thought they were aggressive in the state oh. in in the in the uh, tech line throughout the year, oh, that's ramping up. Oh man, They're, I can't wait. All the guys, all those guys, they got things in their pocket on the shelves in the back that they ain't been running. All these cars are getting ready to improve, change just a little bit as far as their performance and how well they're going to drive and. Uh, at least that's what your hope is as, yeah. a, as a as a driver that your your crew chief's got a few tricks up his sleeves that he's not he wasn't willing to run or use during the regular season, and that they're going to get a lot more aggressive on the body and so forth and trying to get the car through tech and take advantage of some of the advantage you know the the things they can do. We'll right. see. We'll see. It's something to keep an eye on. That'll yeah. be fun. Absolutely. All right. Well, cool. Hi, I'm Dylan Hart Jr. Do Time Off is a campaign by Mountain Dew. They want to empower people to do what they love, and they help remove those barriers that get in the way of their passion. Do the good. In partnership with Mountain Dew, I've been giving some of my employees DTO, Do Time Off, and $1,000 to pursue their passion. We have one more left, and it's a special one. So stay tuned and do the do. All right, before we bring in our guest, let's talk about our friends at Zip Recruiter, mm-hmm. hiring can be a slow process who is that i don't know cafe (laughs) cafe altura altura coo dylan miskiewicz it's got the miskowitz 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 uh he needed to hire a director of coffee for his organic coffee company (laughs) but he was having trouble finding qualified applications so he switched to uh, ZipRecruiter. Good, good. ZipRecruiter doesn't <laughs> depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. You make sense of that? I, I mean, I'm trying. Yeah. That part, I understand, yeah. All right. So you don't have to worry about candidates finding you, looking you up and all that. ZipRecruiter's going to do the work. They're going to bring them to you. This technology identifies people with the right experience and it invites them to apply to your job. So, hey, man. Here's a job for you. Yeah. Come be the director of coffee for Mr. Miskowitz. Oh, Miskowitz. He had it pretty easy because he used ZipRecruiter. You get qualified candidates fast. Dylan, he posted his job on ZipRecruiter and said he was impressed with how quickly he had great candidates applying for it. He also used ZipRecruiter's candidate rating feature to filter his applicants so that he could focus on the most relevant applicants and that's how Dylan found his new director of coffee in just a few days. With results like that, it's no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, ziprecruiter.com slash Jr. That's ziprecruiter.com slash D-A-L-E-J-R. ZipRecruiter.com slash Jr. Zip Recruiter, the smartest way to hire. You know his uh, URL was like ZipRecruiter.com Miskowitz. <laughs> <laughs> it's a wonder anybody got to him. Yeah. You think uh, the director of coffee guy has a specific URL? Um, it, he was big enough to get I put mean, into our ad read. No kidding. <laughs> All right, Jimmy is here. Come on in. There he is. <laughs> well, well, we'll get up, hug, and do all that at the end. Yeah, we, we've uh, learned it. Free hugs. Nobody's got time for that. That's, that's fair. Yeah. If we get up, everybody gets up, everybody leaves cameras, every, and it takes like 15 minutes to get everything back going. Okay. Right. I like it. And before you know it, we've got a three-hour podcast. 
Plus, we're such good friends. I mean, at the table here, we, you, you don't need us to, no. to hug you to know that you're loved. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. I mean, right. come on. There's a, there's some people in here that we need to probably communicate that to. You're not one of them. No. You know it. I you do just know, know it. it. I didn't expect to come straight out of the lobby right into the studio, right. so I'm just a little surprised. <laughs> oh, really? In. We used to be in there in that space. Okay. It was kind of awkward. Hey, you had never done the show. I've not done the show. I've watched the show, and okay. I knew that the race shop, yeah. you know, the glass you know, windows to the shop was right there. So. Yep. Well, this is it, man. What do you think? Got a lot of cars on the desk. Yeah, because the desk was empty. Yeah, I was everybody's say, making some of the fun early of us. Shows. Yeah, everybody's <laughs> making fun of how big the table was. <laughs> yeah. Wait, 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 wait. So he cuts this intro for you, okay, Matthew? And they're always very good. All right. Well, he's looking at his to... hat. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah yeah. You got the Herzog's hat on. Wow. <laughs> he does. Old school. I'd break it out. That's, that's everything it. you need to know about Matt. Yes. <laughs> so, so this will be good. The GOAT, the greatest of all time. Some float like a butterfly and sting like a bee. Others consider themselves the luckiest of men on earth. Some speak softly but carry that big stick. One called their shot. One lived by the moniker of the Great One. A select few champion unforgettable dynasty. Like MJ, the Mick, Tiger, Bossy, and Brady. Greatness can span generations. From Bear to Saban, Magic to Kobe. Run, jump, kick or throw, steer, swim, lift or glide. He knows. And sometimes, it's not just the he's. You see, the GOAT isn't represented just in the numbers. No, it's not the statistic. The GOAT is a brand. Richard Petty has won the 200th race. It's a legacy. Dale Earnhardt will come to the caution flag to win the Daytona The GOAT is an icon. He does a good job. Yeah, thank right? you, pal. Yeah, I mean, my gosh. so uh, that gives me yeah that gives me some chills. Wow. Yeah. Does that embarrass you at all? It's it's not comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> to say. That's, I know. I think I think that I think that I like that reaction because um, you're pretty down to earth with everything that you've ever accomplished in racing. You've accomplished everything, right? You've done more five in a row, seven championships. I mean, the the list goes on and on, and you've. As far as I know, I mean, I've known you since the very beginning. You have yeah. not changed the least little bit. And it's so almost impossible to go through those experiences and not be affected in some way. Um, but, man, if you stay true, uh, I remember the first time that I'd seen Jimmy a little bit and probably I don't remember it as well, uh, but I saw Jimmy around Hornet Days a little bit when, we, when he first started coming around from the West Coast. Yep. And uh, but Jimmy called me one day. The one thing I do remember, Jimmy called me one day and he goes, "Hey man, I'm thinking about getting a bus, or I'm I'm, I'm just trying to figure out what to do and do the right thing financially." 
and uh, I thought that was cool. Nobody ever called me for advice. Wow. Yeah, and so because I was I was just getting started too, kind of. Yeah. But he was like, "Man, you got you you just got a bus. What did you do? How'd you do it? What was it? You know." He was nice to show me how expensive it is to have a motorhome on the road. Yeah. <laughs> was he right? He was right. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah absolutely. It's expensive. But, <laughs> yeah. You're like when you see it all on paper before the checks start going out. You're like, I'm not sure I can cover that. Right. That's a big number. Yeah. And you were just getting going too. Just you really going. didn't have. You had got an opportunity in the Kingsford car at St. Louis. And so you didn't really have a lockdown ride yet, and it would be a couple of years before you really had that, that you know, comfort and security. Yeah. But um, for sure. Yeah. So one of the things, uh, I mean, so much to talk about, but yeah, I've wondered where you're going to start. I mean, right. We got a lot of history. Yeah, we do. <laughs> oh, I thought you know when he went right back to the beginnings. I thought, man, right there, uh, the best JJ story is at the pool party when uh, he he. Well, that was in the middle, so... So, so that wasn't it. That's that, that a, we've wasn't, been doing this long enough. That might be like in the first quarter. Really? I mean, what was that, 2002? Probably. So... <laughs> He's busted his head many times <laughs> in the pool, so like, it's hard I, to get him off. <laughs> <laughs> I want, yeah. So, uh, God, I guess it was... It's been a while now. Back then. Yeah. So we were um, racing at... Uh, race The weekend before Pocono. I don't know where we were, were at. I think you it was were... was Dover. Well, yeah, you won at Dover. You won Yep. Okay, so I thought you or Jeff had won, but uh, Ricky Hendrick was having a party at his house. I don't know what the occasion was. So I won in Fontana and was so far away from all of our friends that we never had a chance to really celebrate. And yep. Ricky said, the next race you win, you're on the East Coast. We're having a party at my house that night. Okay. okay. And he lived in this skated community down in Charlotte, and um, he texted me and was like, come over. And I was like, oh, man, I don't know half y'all, half your buddies, and and that's y'all's thing. And come on, come on, come on. And I'm like, all right, I'll go. And I was by myself and uh, drove over there. And, man, I mean, there's cars everywhere in the streets. And Ricky had no business living in this beautiful neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I walk Plastic ar- furniture and a yeah. bunch of rowdy guys running around. <laughs> yeah. I walk around out back, and there's... I don't know, 50, 7,500 people there maybe. I came – there's a lot of people. Yep. I recognized some of them. I had hung around Ricky before on the lake and stuff. And uh, we just hung out and for hours, you know, just uh, celebrating, talking, laughing. And um, we got the wild hair that we should pour everything that was – Anything so, that would make bubbles. Anything that would make bubbles in the hot tub. Right. But laundry detergent? Everything, anything, anything in Dish the house. Soap. Yeah. We went through two stories of the house looking for anything that would foam and poured it in the hot tub. Yeah. <laughs> and so the and hot. This is where things went south, right? Yes. <laughs> right. Yes. And so the hot tubs at the at one end of the pool, the shallow end, and you. Um, Which why would you put the hot tub at the shallow end? I don't know. I mean, but well, I don't know. It just makes no sense. Yeah. Oh, you guys are thinking logically on the design of the pool as you're pouring yeah, soaps the, into the well, pool. Well, no, we're thinking of that almost <laughs> yeah. 20 years In later. In hindsight, gotcha. <laughs> and so there's there's a handful of full of us in the hot tub, and man, it was hot. Um, had it cranked up pretty high. <laughs> most are. And I'm like, I am burning up. I got to get in this swimming pool, cool off. <laughs> and so I jumped into the pool and dove into the shallow end and hit my head. Oh. Telling you, it looked like a cartoon when you see the cartoon character dive in the, sh- in, the in the shallow end and their feet are still sticking up. <laughs> I swear he stopped and his oh. feet were still there, and I was like, "This That's isn't not- going to end well." Yeah. And he he stands up, and man, I think I hit my head, and there's blood just flowing. Yeah. I'm like, "Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure you <laughs> I hit." I think your you head. did too. Yeah. <laughs> and wow. it was like a st- it was like a X, like it's it, I hit it flat and it sort of just popped an X right in the center of my head. Yeah. Like so it's. It was an X-shaped hole, and 
I was uh, embarrassed to death. It was like one o'clock in the morning, and Eric, for sure, yeah, in that in that hour peak or two peak hour of the party. I mean, this is it's a still still chugging along this party. Yeah, and I've done ruined everything, right? I'm I'm the guy like the guy that causes the fight or the guy. You know, what I mean, <laughs> somebody throws up in the middle of the room or whatever. So here I am. I'm like I got invited out here. I'm not even. I'm not. You know, I was lucky enough to get asked to come out there, and here I am done, ruined it. And Jimmy is like, we got a guy. We got a, you know, HMS has a doctor. He's on call. I mean, he'll he'll meet us and we'll get this fixed. And I was like, are you sure? Not a problem whatsoever. So Jimmy's going to break away from the party that they're celebrating him, his win, the success and all that. And so Jimmy got me to the hospital uh, and we met this guy in this clinic. So he unlocks the door and walks us in and He's like, oh, it's fine. You're going to be fine. I'm like, okay, good. I was like, you know, it's going to be a big scar. No, no scar. You ain't got no scar. And so I was like, man, this is great. Um, I thought this, I thought the worst, but this is going and, to – and so he lays me down on this table, and he puts this little sheet over my head uh, and, and starts to go to work. And Jimmy's over in the corner playing with all the tools. So Jimmy, like I'm, I guess there. you can do that when you yeah. know the know the doctor. Jimmy's know the walking doctor around there, going like, the "What does this do?" <laughs> ding, ding, bang, 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 banging on stuff. <laughs> and it's just a real funny scene. And um, guy sewed me up, and he's like, "Hey, don't go to sleep right away." And I was like, "Not a problem." I was like, "We're gonna go back drink, <laughs> start back drinking beer." So we went back to the house, and I was like, "He told me not to go to sleep, so I guess we got to sit up and drink some more beer." So we. Well, got right back to it. That would have been some good advice on top of the no sleep is probably don't go get drunk again, right? Uh, But he left that part out. He left that out? Yeah. Yeah. I did end up peeing in the closet that night. Oh, I didn't know if you were going to go there. Yeah, me. (laughs) I didn't know if you were going to go there. Oh, you remember this? I do. Yeah. How do you remember this? I was was passed out on the floor, and uh, I heard a commotion, and I looked up, (laughs) and uh, Dale was sleepwalking. And yeah. had the closet door open and thought it was the bathroom. Yeah, he told that you told this story recently, and you did say you slept walk. Yeah, I, I just thought I, ne- he, I just so, thought that's something people say right before they pee in a closet. I never right. as a reason to justify. Well, it that's my only experience. As if that did it. Oh no! It, but I, I was like, he's not going to. I'm like, whoa, wait, Dale, <laughs> he's <Yeah>. wake up. <laughs> I know. So I woke up standing up peeing. It's, this is how it happened. I've never slept walk in my life, as far as I know, and. When I woke up, it was because somebody was saying, Hey, Dale, hey! And I woke up and I'm like, Oh, no! <laughs> oh, no! Oh, yeah. Oh, but like, yeah. It was upstairs in this loft of the, over the garage and it was empty, just carpet room, wasn't finished. But this is Ricky's house. Yeah. Yeah. All right. It wasn't his closet. It wasn't like a spare. It wasn't like a guest well, bedroom closet. Uh, right. Of right. all the closets, doesn't this make was, it okay. But this is right. the one to pee in. <laughs> <laughs> if there, if was, there a was a closet to pee in, that's the yes. one. That was the one. Well, good to know that when even uh, when you're sleeping, you yeah. still know which closet is the best to pee yeah. in. And I, and so now, anytime anybody pees in the corner of a room or something in the middle of the night because there's some there's somewhere they're not familiar with. It's not as funny anymore. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So this is why we brought you here. This is We wanted to see what your uh, recollection of this story was. And yeah, now that we've I, done I remember it. that part. Yeah, yeah. That, that's yep. all good. Right? Yeah. All right. All right. Thank you, Jimmy. Have you, yeah. You. yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll do those hugs now. <laughs> um, wow, that's interesting. All yeah. right. Well, so, so you guys had met each other. I, you know what? By the way, just one little thing on that story. All these times you've told it, I didn't know that you were such a, like, I didn't know you went by yourself and didn't know 
just about everybody this at the party. A, so that the, the level of awkwardness just got ratcheted yeah. up just there. I yeah. wouldn't. I, I mean, I've always kind of traditionally never went anywhere without it, without a friend, a wingman. Yeah, wingman, or especially that far. Comfort. That was yeah. a big, big drive. It was a from big break from the there. comfort zone for me. But I was, I knew Jimmy for a long time, and I knew that he was going to be there, and that would be. And, and Ricky is just the nicest guy. Right. So I, every time I was around Ricky, he was. Hey man, you know I mean I, we'd go out on the lake and he'd be like, "Come over in my boat." You know, he did such and, a great job of just helping all personalities, all yeah. walks of life, just kind of come together. There were clicks. One of his Ricky gifts. would do that. Yep. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. There yep. were there were there were kind of clicks back then, but it was geographically like you guys, you know, your group, right. him and his group was down South Charlotte, and and we we all hung around Mooresville and th- exit thirty six, thirty three, and all that. But when we all were in the same place, you know, he did a great job, like you say, of. Hey, you know this group's good. This group's good. Let's all hang together. Um, Very true. Absolutely, man. Yeah. Um, so one of the other things about Jimmy and and me that uh, stands out is he helped me get into a lot of new things in life. That's right. Um, do you do that with other people? Like it, you encourage other people, like to to play golf. You helped me getting into golf, social media. Golf was one that came to me this morning. I was trying to remember there was That's one right. missing. Yeah. Uh, and he's like. I don't even remember. I ended up buying clubs and and met him out at Quail Hollow. Yep. And he said, started him on the easy one. I said. So right. he's yeah, like, exactly. come play Quail Hollow, and I was like, You're crazy. And he's like, I said, I'll play the back nine. Nine holes is enough. I can't play all eighteen. I, you know, <laughs> who who can go play eighteen holes? The, you know, the first time. Okay. And so we showed up a little early, and me and Steve LaTarte were together. And Steve plays golf, and he's all ready to go. And I'm like, hey, let's go to the driving range, hit a few. You know, Jimmy and them are on hole seven, so we'll wait and go hit a few and get warmed up. So we go over to the driving range, and there's a lot of guys out there sending them. And I'm like, I can't go over there and hit. I'm not going to hit it straight, and it's going to go this way and that. And all these perfect shots are happening, all these guys. I'm like, I can't go over there and swing and hit in front of them guys. So we decided to sit there. I text Jimmy. I'm like, y'all about done? He's like, we're at hole nine. Come on. And so we drove over there, and we get over there, and he's like, "Where? Play this hole." And I was like, "I said the back nine. I'm gonna play the back nine. He's like, "Play this hole. Play this hole. Play this hole. Come on, come on." And I'm like, "No." And uh, anyways, we I think I'm uh, ended up starting on the back nine. Yep. And parred the. It's a par four. Comes and I, out and pars it. Yeah. I'm like, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. So Jimmy's- the story still stays true because I didn't want to believe him with the whole driving range bit when he showed right. up at the first hole yeah. and pars it, and I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm getting played he, he, here. He sucked <laughs> right, right, right. This but this is, story this, still yeah. this is the part where you start losing money, right? <laughs> exactly. Right. right. Oh, <laughs> yeah. it was way freaking downhill from there. Yeah. yeah. It, oh, the, was it the real players? The real after that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It was it was one of those deals where Jimmy or whoever was watching my shot had to let me know where it went because I couldn't hit the ball and keep my head down and then know where the ball went. Who were you playing with? That because makes sense. Else, yeah, because again, you seem to get Dale to do stuff, but it's always in situations that might be the like like peak awkwardness for him if it's people he doesn't know. Who who else <laughs> was there? I can't remember our fourth. Yeah, it, it was another guy. Be another member. The yeah. way the way it works out, out there had to be another member. So maybe like Scott Smith or Somebody. another friendship Shelton. Okay. But. And then we we got to the final hole, and Jimmy said that you could shotgun beers for Mulligans, like if you wanted to take an if you didn't like oh. a tee shot. Wow, my own self made. Yeah. Oh yeah, not rule. a Quail Hollow Club. Basically, rule, it was. They, the, they don't mind it, but okay. basically it was Jimmy wanting everyone to shotgun beers. Right, right. <laughs> so that's what we ended up doing on the final hole, which was a lot of fun. But anyways, we got it. We got me into golf, got me into social media, which was a 
um, he had been pestering me for a year. Yep. And he's like, yeah, you'll love this. Jimmy's the kind of guy that when he sees an activity, some people, I think people pop into his mind that he goes, X, X Y, and Z would love this. And then he goes to them, and he's like hammering on them, and you need to try this. You're really going to like it. You're really going to like it. And uh, That's definitely the case. Is and that I, what you do? I, I do. I mean, you know, we're, life is so busy, you know, as time goes on and you start a family, you know, the, all the people you know, you still care for, but the people you see consistently just get smaller and smaller. And I, I just, at nature, I like to help people. I like to, I just like to help. So when yeah. I see things that fit and with us spending so much time together as teammates, I just saw a couple things from, from golf I thought would be, you know, for me, it was a good way to kind of escape on a Monday and forget about a weekend. Right. Um, I haven't played much golf since I've had kids. It's just too much time yeah. to, to eat up. Same with, with Twitter, just how well-spoken you are and how important your voice is in our sport that I, I'm like, you've, you've got to be in this space. I mean, our sport is missing out as a result. So that's where that pressure came from. And then with the bike, again, I knew how much of an outlet it was for me. And knowing you at the level I did, I'm like, if I could just get him to put on those damn clothes. Yeah, right. <laughs> that was the hurdle. <laughs> but that would be the hurdle the for The spandex most was the hurdle for sure. Yeah. And yeah. That, it was so embarrassing that um, he's like, our first ride was in Atlanta, Georgia, and there's about four or five guys. Alan Gusterson was one who'd been riding a while. So anyways, Jimmy's got his group of guys he's going to ride with, and I said, man, I'm going to get my spandex on, and I'm going to run and jump in the, the Tahoe <laughs> before anybody sees me, and I'm going to so meet y'all outside the track. And he's like, whatever. Whatever it takes. <laughs> and he's in like triple X clothes because he didn't want them too tight. Yeah, I bought all giant clothes. <laughs> well, yeah. What do loose spandex look like on somebody, by the way? You know? <laughs> I thought it looked better than normal spandex. <laughs> At least that's what it had in my, in my head. Yeah. Yeah, so I have, now I have, all, I have sold all that stuff. <laughs> you have? Oh, yeah. Okay. But I, what I bought was like $40 crap on Amazon. All I right. didn't know there was a difference between yeah. good uh, padding and bad padding. Yeah, the really, chamois. The chamois. The padding in the under uh, under your butt yeah. is, is very important, and there's bad and there's good. So a forty dollar pair off of Amazon ain't gonna get you very far. Maybe about day, five miles. What do you call it? The chamois. The chamois. The chamois yeah. wasn't your biggest problem on on this day in Atlanta. It was no everything. I else. learned. I learned though. <laughs> Anyways, we we uh, I get my I'm I'm standing on the side of the road. My bus driver Kenny's in the Tahoe waiting to make sure because he's going to wait. Actually, I think he followed us the whole he fo- time. Yeah, well, he followed us the whole. He, he sagged us. Yeah, so he followed us about you know half a mile behind us the entire ride, which is about sixteen miles. Anyways, but we had a bit of a delay. We getting did started. So we oh, really. I'm we standing did. on the side of the road. Here they come. I see them come out of the tunnel and they're coming down the four lane to me. And I'm like, all right, I'm ready to go. And I get going and I can't shift. I forgot the battery for the electronic shifting. Something people might not know, and you know, well, the man likes the plan. The man likes his stuff in order. <laughs> and he was so neurotic about making sure the batteries were charged. He charged them at home before he took his bike. Yeah. He charged them again like that, that day and left the batteries on the charger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, Kenny had to run back in there and get the charger, and they all waited. So they, did they, they oh, they waited? Wait, of course. We did. And made fun I'd of them. I would have never caught yeah. them. I would have never caught them. That helped us really understand the clothing choice that he made and the triple X. <laughs> y'all, yeah, got, y'all got to sit there and just kind of like just focus on that for what a little are you while. Wearing? Yeah. <laughs> so Kenny finally gets the battery and we get going. And I'm literally one mile and already have some because I'm wobbly, right? Jimmy and those guys, I'm watching Jimmy in front of me and he is 
front tire, rear tire, perfectly on the white line on the side of the road, right? Mm -hmm. Straight as an arrow, smooth, and I am herky-jerky and shaking and carrying on and hanging on too tight and white-knuckling, and I'm all over the road, and this guy's driving, people are driving by, flipping me off out out the side of their cars. Like one mile in, we got screamed at and flipped off. Yep, straight away. Because I'm literally in the middle of the street, (laughs) (laughs) and I'm thinking, how in the hell... Like, I want to draft Jimmy because it's way easier in the draft. You wouldn't think it would be that big of a deal, but the draft on a bike is huge. Yep. And I'm not that strong yet, right? And so I want to be in the draft, but Jimmy's so close to the side of the road that I can't bring my nerve up to get over there. And I'm shaky and wobbly. Well, maybe it's because you have bed sheets uh, for a spandex, basically. Maybe a parachute. (laughs) That's probably affecting it a little bit. (laughs) But we rode 16 miles. We get back to the track, and I'm like, I'm in my mind going, dang. That's enough. And Jimmy's like, we're going to go some more. You want to go some more? And they went another, like, 20 miles or so. They ended up doing 40 total, I think. Yep. And I was like, no, that's enough. My first ride, I'm good. It's a good opening stunt, though. It It was, man. Yeah, so that ride in Atlanta ended up being 2,400 miles by the end of the year. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, you got after it. I stuck with it. Yeah. You know, the thing that's interesting about this is, you know, if you go back to the the pool party and him going, you know, without really knowing anybody, social media and then biking, like – if you could pick like three insecurities that not just Dell Jr. has, but most people would have, you you really as a as a friend forced him to oh. conquer these insecurities. Oh wait, oh wait. Oh, there's more. Oh yeah. So this is I'm, I know that I'm talking a lot about my experience and me, but this is a, to show you what kind of guy that Jimmy is. I got All you. Right? So I'm coming up on my first anniversary, big freaking deal, right? Amy says, you know what? I, I gave her a couple options, and she says, Aspen. I gave her Aspen as one of the options. So I called Jimmy, and I was like, Jimmy, you know, I'm bringing Amy to Aspen, and I, it's our anniversary, and I want to, you know, I want it to be special. I need to do some of the legwork. But he's like, I, it's going to be great. I got mm-hmm. it lined up, right? And so – Just happen to know everything to do in that town. He does. It can be of You've assistance, got Aspen. you know? Yeah, yeah. You got it wired. Yeah, yep. You're definitely the Aspen lifeline. Yep. yep. And so we go, and Amy, we had the best time, right? And Jimmy helped us make sure, Jimmy invited us to uh, events that they went to and just, you know, afternoon hangouts and and, uh, places to go. And and it was, we were always entertained and had us over at his house. Just a great time. So Jimmy's, uh, Jimmy's like, hey, man, let's go, we're going to go skiing. Oh, and I'm like, I never <laughs> I had a in my lot life. of all the things I had resistance on. The skiing part was probably the most. Really? Oh, and pushing. Yeah, just because I, you know, we had some months in the planning yeah. phase, and you're pretty adamant that you're like, I'm not even bringing clothes to ski. That is yeah. not happening. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy goes and has the guy that fit you. So if you're going to go skiing, typically you're going to go there, and they're going to give your skis and your stuff right there when you get to the to the lodge or whatever. He he hires the people to come to his house, right? He had he paid them to be there, so it was most convenient, right? And so I'm standing there in in the house, and they're we're like, looking for no excuses at this right. point. Yeah, he's doing I'm that. Out you're, the bring, red carpet. You're, you're bringing right. the ski yep. store to yes. Dale to my garage to make my house. it as right. yep. convenient and easy as possible. And so and that, I have witnesses that bring can the confirm anxiety he's going to give it a try with his wife and my wife. So. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And he even lined me up with this guy. Uh, what's it? Uh, Alon? Alon, yeah. Amazing, oh. like, just the nicest freaking guy, right? Alon is a is lives in Aspen. He's a real French guy. Moved from uh, Avignon, France, to uh, the states to yeah. race BMX bikes back in the eighties. 
ended up landing in Aspen and mo like most Aspen locals has like four jobs. And right. one of his jobs is being a ski instructor. And he's this like super mellow French guy that you can somehow understand when he speaks to you yeah. and yeah. just has a great way to teach. So wow. the, there, he's a busy guy though. And it's New Year's Eve weekend, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's sort of the, everybody's there to hang out and loose. He's not trying to work. But basically, Jimmy hooked him up with me and I spent the whole morning with this guy riding this riding the lift and then skiing down the hill riding the lift and we started out on the bunny slope we started out on the kitty slope lear literally learning the, the pure freaking basics square one yeah starting right at the beginning and i mean in three hours we're going down the He's big one on the top yeah i mean i couldn't believe your progress that day well it was because alan was so freaking i can't believe good. it either that explains it because he picked it up quick he's he's the one that encouraged me to start trying it okay i did not pick it up as quick of course i didn't have a french coach yeah, correct either. you didn't have yeah. the now now you went to the olympics and so too, that, right yeah oh yeah that's fantastic we go to south korea <laughs> and had uh, you know they're like hey you want to ski and we freaking no we went right you to said it. We, yeah you <laughs> said yeah we want to do yeah. it yeah yeah we skied like Crazy men. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. yeah that's, well, it never so, happened. Some of us ended up on our back more than we skied, but yeah. yeah. So, but, but Jimmy just put everything he could into it. His, during his New Year's Eve weekend with his family, his focus on me and Amy and our weekend was incredible. Yeah. And just including us. And I just think it speaks so much to his character and why we are such good friends and why he has so many great friends. I appreciate it, buddy. Yeah. It's, it's, I've been so, so thankful for our friendship and relationship over the years. Um, clearly racing in the beginning, you know, we're more, we weren't on the same team and we still had a, a very solid friendship through all that. But then when you're able to work on the same team, it just goes yeah. to such a different level. So we were racing against each other. I was in the bud car and he was in the 48 and we had a friendship. Uh, we would race. And obviously when you're out there racing, you're going to bump heads every, every once in a while. And we have some disagreements. But one day we're sitting out on the lake, and he's having a great time. He's he's winning, he's doing well, and my thing was kind of going the wrong way. And we're sitting there, and we had a few beers. But I was telling him, I was like, he, he we kind of started the conversation of, man, it'd be cool if we were teammates. And I was like, oh, well, we're gonna be teammates. Oh, I, one of these days, somehow, it's gonna happen. Yep. And uh, me and Ricky started talking about it, and I was like, man, we got to figure out how to get that to work, how to make that happen. And um, and then a couple of things fell into place, and it worked out. That's interesting because Ricky, for you and I both, was the kind of ingredient behind the scenes, you know, the person behind the scenes that made yeah. made it happen. Yeah, he was really influential. I mean, he had Vickers. Vickers was his project. Yeah. And, um, you know, he had his he had his fingertips on a lot of things going on. I think his daddy and him have such a close relationship that Rick would include him and and let him influence. But for sure, yeah. So um, that's where that started. Uh, well, I got. I'm curious though. I mean, who else? You've been in, uh, influential yeah. in a lot of those projects. Who else do you do that for? And what has Dale done in return? Oh, hey, hey, hey! <laughs> oh, you got something on that? No, I mean, I'm, I'm serious. <laughs> I'm serious because I think this is something I, you I said. Have, well, I haven't done. I haven't been able to find anything that he hasn't <laughs> right. tried. I'm saying that would be a well, challenge. I could say I could. I, something just came to mind. So, you know, through the years, I've also you know found other or have have friends that I've seen in our garage area that I. I've just felt like my journey through physical fitness would be of use or of help for them. And I've, ins I've tried to inspire many. And Dale and I have a mutual friend, Chris Knight, that Dale came oh, yeah. to me and said, let's, let's 
let's do what you what you do and how you help people. Because I helped Tony Gibson, <laughs> and he just came to me. He's like, look, yeah. this is weighing on me. I, I I know a guy that works in our industry. He's a journalist in our industry, and I, of course, know him. And I, I think we need to we need to reach out and help him. So Dale kind of started that conversation, and we challenged him for a year and supported him, you know, as friends would, and, and really helped change his life and, and helped That's, his yeah. health. Yeah, I think that um, Jimmy's – you know, I think that's just Jimmy inspiring people to – to, to help other people yeah you know i would have never cared about fitness my own fitness or anyone else's fitness had it not been for um jimmy you know and he does that i think for his teammates uh look at i mean i didn't when uh alex bowman first started driving for hms and even before that when he's driving for us he didn't take his health that seriously i mean he's a young man he's not really got to get too damn dedicated about it right but he, we would go ride bikes and he was miserable hated it and he wouldn't stick with it, you know. He'd take weeks and months off. And now, man, I mean, he's working his guts out. He's doing great. Yeah, and and you, I think you are the catalyst for all that because they kind of measure. When I would work, when I was working at uh, the first couple of years that I was working at Henry Motorsports, Doug Ducart came to me and he said, "You need to do a better job of taking care of yourself." You look at Jimmy and the things that he can do. Hell, I could outrun you in a 40-yard dash. <laughs> I was like, Doug, we're not racing on foot. But, <laughs> Doug. But, uh, you know, it, but uh, when you're around Jimmy, it, it doesn't become – it's like when you're – Jimmy, it's not annoying, like, oh, man, I really don't feel like doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, Jimmy's kind of presents it in a way that makes it fun. And, and one of the things that I loved about cycling was the technology and, and – you know, Jimmy kind of helped me understand, you know, how to get into the technology side of it and understand the statistics and how to measure each run versus the next. And if if I didn't have the ability to go out and ride and then go ride that same ride and compare such critical and in-depth statistics, that would take a lot of the fun out for me. I love, like, challenging myself, racing myself. He found an app that I thought was really interesting for cycling. Oh, yeah. He found it? You didn't? I did not. Wow. Um, Zwift. Well, yes, two two apps. Okay. And so Zwift for sure. And then the other one would be an app that tells you how many beers you've earned on your ride. <laughs> oh, I do know about that. Yeah. yeah. I thought you were always kidding, but you really did. You no, know, we'd you, finish up and you're like, I earned two and a half beers. And but, I'm like, what a random. Please share. <laughs> I will, please share. And so four or five oh, rides later, I'm like, dude, you've got to show me this. When like, you wake up this? in the morning and you're thinking about beer before 11 o'clock. That's, yeah. that's very important. Is this just based <laughs> off of calories that you burned? Is that how you yeah. earn a beer? Yeah. Yeah, so um, yeah, you can break, you can equate it into whatever you want. If you love pizza, of course. it's pizza slices, <laughs> right? Whatever, but yeah, Zwift is awesome. So Zwift is sort of like eye racing for cyclists, for bikes, yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's pretty fun. A lot of times the weather's either too hot or bad, and you don't want to ride outdoors, and you ride indoors using Zwift, and it's and you're riding with other riders. There's like avatars, and you're kind of racing. Yeah, or you create whatever. your own your own. Guy. avatar your own guy and then you ride with anyone around the world which is kind of wild yeah. and your flag your flag of which you're riding your country which you're riding in is right next to the name and you'll see flags from all around the world yeah. and you're like i There's can't believe a guy in people. japan right now is riding with me wow. on this ride in yeah. the game you can ride with them and draft and talk cool. and chat all right let's take a quick break and we'll get back to jimmy johnson here in a second but first let's tell you a little bit about our partners at ancestry and dale jr this is something <laughs> personal mike it sure is ancestry is great I've been using Ancestry, I don't know, maybe 10 years now. That's right. A long time. I was able to, uh, you know, I knew nothing about my family beyond Ralph Earnhardt, who's my grandfather. So I didn't know nothing about his dad, what his dad did and all that stuff. And anything beyond that. So with Ancestry, I was able to go 
multiple generations back, like 10 generations back, all the way to when our family had traveled from not only Philadelphia down to the Carolinas, but when they traveled from Germany to Philadelphia. I learned why they made that travel, uh, where they were from in Germany, as far as uh, specifically the town they came from, this small town of Ibelsheim, Germany. 300 people live there today. 300 people wow. lived there back in the 1700s. So oh, it's really? not changed at all. I actually went to the church where yeah. they worshipped and read books where their names were written in handwriting. Wow. I held the books with with the cotton gloves in the archives of Squire Germany. It was awesome. It is. It was very powerful. All this was was possible and inspired by my experience with Ancestry.com. Little did I know when I signed up for my account that that was going to be my journey. Wow. I had no idea. So you can trace your ancestors' journeys over time following how and why your family moved from place to place. They've combined DNA results with over 100 million family trees and billions of records to give you more insight into your genealogy and origins. And I'm sort of dip, you know, getting into that now. I sent out my DNA kit almost a year ago and learning so much about it's a boy, the, the family tree that I've curated over the last 10 years was it was a more it was one dimensional. It's on paper. It's in front of you on your app or, or, or on your iPad or whatever. The DNA results sort of bring life to that. It mm. makes it much more uh, in depth and interesting. And also, it connects you to people that are, are here today. You know, it, it tells you about your. I mean, these are other clients on the service of Ancestry.com, and it'll say, "Hey, man, this guy over here, you're uh, related. He, y'all are second cousins. Yeah. And this is how. Yeah. You know." And, man, you really learn so much about just how, I don't know, man, I think, you t- I think you'd be really surprised at how intricate and complex uh, our family trees are. So it amplifies those results when you uh, combine the DNA test results and the DNA kit results uh, with your family tree. It's pretty awesome. Go to Ancestry.com slash Dale Jr. today for 20% off your Ancestry DNA kit. That's Ancestry.com slash Dale Jr., D-A-L-E-J-R, for 20% off your Ancestry DNA kit. Ancestry.com slash Dale Jr. So let's talk a little bit about racing. Yeah. Um, one of the, all right, so five championships in a row, I think, is probably the most impressive stat in NASCAR history. Kel Yarborough won three in a row, and I thought that was never going to be done. Um, there's a lot of things like most wins, uh you know, 200 for Richard Petty, you could look at his career and kind of see how that was accomplished. But five championships in a row, especially as the, as the, uh, uh, the, the, the way we gather points and the, and the way the playoffs were determined and so forth changed year after year, you continued to, con- you know, you continue to win. Um, do you look back as, at that statistic and uh, not believe it? Is it unbelievable? It, it is. I mean, how, for, for the man that's living it, like you're the, you're the guy that won those five. What do you do when you think about that? I, I really can't believe it. Um, you know, each it's funny how you get so so focused and closed in on on the journey of each year, and until you know, really until it came to an end, and even years after reflecting back, just I realized the magnitude of of what we had going on there. Different generations of cars, the point systems changing, the point system kept changing, and <laughs> just on and on. So all the time, all the time, and I, I just. And then the journey I've been on recently with a tough couple of years, I just reflect back and and can see and better understand how special that was. And then thinking of how important the team aspect is and having 
the the communication, the connection, um, not not just with the driver and crew chief, but the entire group, the timing of your manufacturer and, and their importance, the timing of your company's you know uh, competitiveness within that. There's a lot of pieces there that had to come together to be yeah. right. And uh, certainly, I'm the guy that gets to have that amazing stat be spoken about most with the five in a row. But you know, a lot of credit goes to to Chad, the 48 guys. HMS, Chevy, like that was just a magical period of time for us. So one of the things that blew me away is uh, after your seven championships, you're, you're not satisfied. Like if I had won seven championships, <laughs> I would not let I, – I, and I don't know if I'm going to word this properly, but you, you seem so like every sort of stumble and, and as – as you've kind of trudged through this season, you get more and more determined. Like you're, you're, you're like, I'm turning this around. If it kills me, I'm turning this around. If it's the last thing I do, I am not going out without figuring out how to right. get back to Victor Lane. And what fuels that? You've, you've already done it all. You've done, you've, you, you don't need to win anymore. Yeah. So what fuels that? I th- really think it's just my, my f- internal fire to compete. My my internal fire, who, uh, who I am. Yeah. And this is also a similar place that I was in prior to all my success at Hendrick. I mean, really? I, I had to fight. I mean, I can't tell you how close I was to being unemployed tell us. through my journey as, as a young driver coming yeah. up. Thankfully, Chevrolet had my back and was trying to support me. But, you know, the manufacturers and how expensive racing is, there's, there's only so much they can do. And I literally got, I was very fortunate to have people um, believe in me and, and see my work ethic and my hunger and give me that next opportunity. Um, and then also people mentor me that, that had credibility that helped with that momentum that it takes for a driver to get somewhere. So I, I've been here before and I've worked through it. So to me, there's not this black hole at the end of like, oh, well, I'm, I'm not going to figure it out. Hell no, I've been here before. And, and I, know, I know what's going on within my team. I know what I'm capable of. I've been here before and the, the fire is there. I just, I, I'm not done yet. This yeah. is really what it's about. How much more do you want? I don't know. That's, that's a question that's being asked a lot. And certainly, I think here in the next, you know, four to six months, uh, I'm sure Mr. Hendricks is going to be pushing on me for an answer. <laughs> uh, so I know that's out there, but, but if, I, if I'm forced to make a decision, um, I'm, I'm, I'm choosing more years. I, I just, You're keep digging. I'm, I'm not done yet. Yeah. You know, that fire is way too intense. And, you know, it's another interesting thing. Along the way, I great for, you know, was able to build friendships with Rusty Wallace and Mark Martin and Dale Jarrett and yourself, Jeff Gordon, Tony Stewart. And I, I've, you guys may not have noticed, but I've asked questions along the way just trying to gauge how I feel about, you know, the years I have left and what signs I need to have uh, to, to step down. And it's all led to don't give up, don't stop. Don't don't quit until you you fully feel satisfied. Sure. And I, I think Rusty Wallace still believes he, he should have stayed on five more he years. He said that here. Did he? Yeah, he said that. He said, you know, Roger Penske was sort of urging him out of the car. And he it's one of his biggest regrets. I remember his first year retired, he just randomly found me in the garage area, grabbed me, you know how aggressive he is. He grabbed me and said, Don't you stop until you're ready. I I could still be out there kicking your ass right now. Don't you stop until you're ready. <laughs> yeah. Yes, sir. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> so I, I just, I don't know. I've been aware of all of that. And, and I guess one, one element that's, that will weigh into my decision and, and be a very important part of it is what my kids and my wife think. You know, I, I've been very selfish for a long time. 
going down my road and racing. And if there's a point where, especially on, I know where my wife stands, but if, as my kids get older and have more of a, an opinion on where they want dad to be, that, that, that'll factor in for sure. Mm. So what does Jimmy Johnson do uh, when he's not driving race cars on the weekend? What um, you, what did you, what's your objective beyond driving? Objective. So for me, you know, when the race is done, I think it's really important to get my thoughts together while they're fresh, uh, get my notes taken care of for uh, for what I just experienced at the race, and then you know Monday Monday is a day to kind of get everything collected and, and together for our Tuesday meetings. Uh, Monday is also kind of an off day for me where I can get back into the fold at, at the house in dominate some carpool like I, I try to do or after school <laughs> activities with the kids. Uh, Mondays are now also a time we're trying to keep clear where I can have uh, the opportunity to take my kids to ride dirt bikes or go-karts. They, they've, they're interested in what dad does, so it's nice to have that and have that outlet. Uh, Tuesday is a, a pretty solid work day. Wednesday, uh, more of an off day. Thursday is a travel day and and off I go. But uh, as many know, you know, fitness is a part of my life and in the clarity it brings to me, I try to get something in each day, even if I've got to get up at 5.30 to do it or if I can squeeze it in at another point. Uh, so that, that's honestly, and the friends I've built within that, that's been my outside of racing, outside of family life routine is just trying to find those little windows of time to, to hit a bike ride with, yeah. with buddies. Uh, but, and it's amazing how fast the day goes by with job, life, you know, job and, and personal life, and then trying to get in a workout. Yeah. I mean, we just got back from Indianapolis and it feels like in just a few days, we're going to be back in Vegas and this week is going to be one of the shorter ones. And, For sure. You know, it's tough to, it's tough to, uh, you can feel that sort of disappointment, I guess, that underlying disappointment in the house between wife and kid that man you know wish you were going to be around a little longer this week you got yep. yeah he's I, I got a question for you um I, re, I recall back when dale jr was having some of his uh seasons of, that he was struggling and and that's when i formulated a theory that a driver's week and their attitude during the week all is going to be dependent on how they performed in the previous race correct okay and so that 2009 2010 years um were a struggle and he had a hard time you know, uh, separating it during the middle of the week. As we all do. How's it been for you? A challenge. Because, see, he didn't have a family. Yeah. And, and you do. Yeah. Uh, so how, how is it, how do you navigate that? It's, it's a challenge. Um, I, I think I do better some weeks than others. Um, I, I've found that in the last month with, uh, with where the team is, I'm drawing a lot of inspiration from them. And it's it's taking a lot of the sting off of it, even though the results haven't been that good. But you know the accountability that your kids put on you yeah. is is epic. And I'm <laughs> I'm trying to uh, trying to realize that that I have I'm having these teachable moments with my kids right now. Wow. Um, and it's again some days I handle better than others, um, but it's th- those those are the thoughts that run through my mind and trying to frame up. When I see him, like I, I got out of the car yesterday, got to the motorhome early, obviously after the, the the care center, and my kids saw me coming, and they both stepped out of the motorhome crying and hugging me, and they weren't they weren't upset about the result. They just wanted to know Dad was okay because they didn't uh-huh. like the crash. Uh-huh. So like you know here I'm in the, in one headspace, and they're just happy Daddy's okay, right? And then as the night went on, there were many opportunities for me to kind of teach some lessons, and they were. They were upset that I'm out of the playoffs, and uh, my kids, in, during their prayer, you know, both had very cute and adorable things to say about 
myself and the team and, you know, not making the playoffs and help us have happy hearts and move forward and do good. You know, they just, their accountability they bring. Um, and, and to your point about Dale not having that family piece there for those tough years, that, that has been a, a, a very helpful aspect to it all, for sure. Grounding. It is it, grounding. It grounds you. You're right. Perspective. What kind of dad are you? Do you worry about your daughter's every second of the day who and so there's a parent there's two parents right in the household one that's super duper worried and one that's like oh they'll be fine which one are you the they'll be fine really yep golly yep my wife does all the worrying for all of us she's got bases covered there yeah um i i find that i i'm probably a bit more a bit more strict on behavior and getting things not that my wife doesn't but that's that's the part where i just find myself being being sometimes maybe overly focused on yeah. and my wife's like just they're You're, nine and, they're nine and six. Jimmy's definitely <laughs> the parent that um, thank thank him thank the man for for helping you or like you know that when you come you, around what, the parents and the and the little kid you know you if you like give the kid something or help them with something the parents like now thank him make sure you thank him Jimmy that's Jimmy yeah, yeah. no I mean yeah I understand <laughs> I understand that. are they into sports. We, we're, we're trying everything. So, we like, are. like, what kind of uh, uh, par- sport parent would you be uh, watching on the sideline? Would you be the one that's yelling I at find- the ref, yelling at the kid, it's your kid, yelling at other kids? Uh, what, what are you doing? The limited exposure we've had, I, I have been trying to stop myself from talking to my child out there. It's hard. It's you so you feel hard. like they hear you. You feel like you're being helpful. Yeah. It's but so as hard. you stop and look around, every parent's doing the same thing. Yeah. There's no chance they hear you. Plus, their little heads are in a space trying to focus. So it's so hard. It is hard. Yeah. I just um, wonder how, like, so in the in your early in your career, you were in the Baja 1000, you cracked and went off a cliff, right? Yeah. Imagine what your mom or your dad were feeling in that I moment. Can't, so I how, can't even imagine it. So as a parent, like, your kids are going to do things like that, yeah. right? Is that not terrifying? It is. Like for me, is I'm already the worrier, and I'm worried about her going to school with social media, bullying, yep. and, and then being disappointed with failures, and whether it be in, you know, whether it's sports or her job, profession, whatever it is yep. as she gets older. And like, how do you, how do you handle those Having things? Having her heart broken someday by a guy. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you, all these things. We're all thinking like, of guys. Give, like, us is... give us advice, Jimmy. What do we do? Well, first of all, my wife, I, I worry plenty. My wife just worries more. So, and she is a total BA of a mom. Like she, she is, she is the rock and she does it, a, a, does a phenomenal job. Um, and first thing was you're, you're talking came to mind was trying to let go of the seat on the bicycle without training wheels. Like, wait till you have that moment. You're, you're just you're not sure which way they're going to go. And then on top of that, you, you were there a couple of weeks ago to see my kids for the first time ever drive a go-kart. Yeah. You, he and Amy came out to the, the go-kart track and, I'm not sure if I showed it, but I, I had so much anxiety inside, sure. worrying about the throttle hanging and oh, yeah. where they might end up, yeah. you know, or if they even know where the brake pedal is in a moment of crisis. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. You, uh, I, I think as life as as the years go by, you start understanding kind of the the things that work with your kids, and and they both need to be parented differently. There, there's no doubt about it. With my two, you've got to approach them differently. So I just need the presence of mind, like, all right, this this is a discussion with Genevieve, this is one with Lydia, and, yeah. and you just try to find the right way in. I, I understand why you're asking Jimmy parenting advice, because he's been so influential in all these other areas, but where do you get parenting advice? Who, where do you glean all the, the, good, the good information? Because there's no manual for this. This is the one thing I learned yeah. as a parent. I wish there was. There isn't. I mean, I have great friends and mentors along the way, and my parents did an amazing job with myself. Uh, 
my my father-in-law and mother-in-law. I don't know, just the surrounding. And there's also something inside of me when when I get it wrong for sure, the guilt hits, and I'm like, man, I should have handled what, that differently. What, what, let's let's all just fess up right now. What's our biggest parenting mistake we've made so far? What, what have you done wrong? I mean, have you dropped Isla yet? I did that to my first one. Mm. Dropped her. Throwing her up and dropped From her. From an injury standpoint, first one that comes to mind is Lydia's just into walking and uh, had wet feet from being in the pool and, and I thought rolled her ankle mm. in, our, uh, in our bathroom on the tile. I watched her. It looked like she rolled her ankle over. And two days later, through my wife insisting that, that she had a broken leg, I'm like, no, she, she rolled it. I saw it. We took her to the hospital and they took an x-ray and sure enough, she had a, a, a broken tib. <laughs> what? Wow. <laughs> I was like, oop, sorry. Was she complaining? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what, she was, like, what were you she saying? Was, Rub some dirt on it? What are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> I saw, I saw the ankle. She was saying my, my leg hurt? She, yeah, she, absolutely. She wouldn't walk on it. they're resilient, you know. She wouldn't walk on it. Um, to me, I saw it take place, and the ankle rolled over. I assumed that was it. Yeah. To my surprise, all the soft tissue stuff for kids, super malleable, right. moves easily, not the issue. It was actually a broken bone. Um, but she was like five days in a splint, and the bone healed so quickly she was back and going. My gosh. I but have, yeah, I, I definitely took a little yeah. heat on that one. I have, I think, <laughs> I've, I've been, so, I've been pretty, I, nothing really comes to my mind right now. I, I think the one mistake I'm making right now is just cussing in front of her. I mean, <laughs> right. I, 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 I haven't had that real moment that sticks out that was in kind of a, uh, you know, where I might have bumped into her, knocked her over or something, but. Yeah, I just gotta. I gotta watch my mouth. Yeah, I, that's I, hard. Because Amy will remind me and say, "Hey, don't say that." And I'm like, "I didn't cuss." And she's like, "Yes, you did." And like, you cuss, don't even know you're cussing sometimes. Yes, right, right. Like it just, it's just part of your vocabulary, right? And we woven in there, so it's like yeah, it's about sometimes that it's not is. even cuss words either. It's just maybe a not so nice word yeah, that right. you don't want a two year old. I just saying. started repeating us. Well, Right, that's the it. It doesn't right. even have to be a cuss word. It can be any word, and that they then misuse in another setting, and it's completely inappropriate. And then they tell you where they got it. That's you know, my daddy <laughs> taught me that. Yeah, you know, it's like that's not okay. Well, let's let's keep some things within the family here. True, <laughs> true. Yeah. All so right. How did you drive off a cliff in the Baja One Thousand? What was that experience like? How far down did it go? It was maybe I don't know, fifteen twenty feet down. Far enough. Um, I was in the mountains, <laughs> so I when I hit the rock. <laughs> I thought I, I had no idea how far down I was going to go. And <sighs> thankfully, I hit pretty quick. Yeah. Um, but I, honestly, I was at the wheel for 20 plus hours at that point, just trying to wait for the sun to come up to stay awake. Are you driving in the Baja 1000 nodding off? I was. Wow. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm like, like Ivan, that's common. Ivan Stewart's doing this thing solo, and Walker Evans, and they're way older than I am. I got this. I totally got it. <laughs> wow. Ivan Stewart's solo. I had a guy next to me that his job was to keep me awake, and he was passed out. So <laughs> what? He was. So I, the, other, the other thing is, we all know, like it's rough in the in the race yeah. on those races, right? So the first smooth road I hit, oh. was, I just got comfy, <laughs> and I, I wasn't out for long. I was just out long enough to miss my braking marks. I just kind of oh, nodded, man. and when I nodded and looked up, I was like, "Oh man, we're in trouble!" And I hit that rock, and off it went. My God. Yeah. I'll never, forget, I'll never forget the headlights. Like I, It's pitch black still, and I hit this enormous rock, and the truck went up, and I can just see the lights. And my dad, for months before the race, is like, man, don't, don't do anything stupid in the, in the mountains. Don't, and I'm just coming out of the mountains. I'm not sure if I'm out of them yet. Thankfully, I was, because it could have been oh. one heck of a drop. But you uh, were unrescuable, right? Like, wasn't it like, like in an area where you guys were worried? That yeah, you- there's uh, – so at night, they don't – they didn't allow VFR aircraft up 
and there is a, uh, a medical chopper, and we had team choppers that would be up and would help with radio transmissions in certain areas because we just needed it to get the, the signal out. Um, they're down because it's night. My chase truck was uh, in a fender bender in a small little town, and you are guilty until proven innocent in Mexico. So the fender bender happens. They <laughs> arrest my two crew members, put them in the jail cell, proceed to shake them down for anything and everything of value. And once they got everything they could out of them and emptied the coolers in the chase truck, they released our guys to, to, you know, to take yeah. off. So as all that happened, that put them behind schedule like six or seven hours from the crash. And then they had to go through the last checkpoint that I cleared and drive down the race course in a stock pickup truck. <laughs> so all of that eats up really every bit of sunlight that there was the, the day I crashed. And then to fix the vehicle and get it out of the position it was in and back to the trailer was another six or eight hours. So it was pretty much a day that I uh, – 24-hour period spent out there. Dang. So you weren't banged up. No, I, I, I was pinned in the truck and, and certainly was bruised up. My co-rider was knocked out and uh, was wheezing really bad when he was trying to catch his breath. And I, I thought I hurt him. And thankfully all the big hits were on his side, and I, I kind of came out of it just yeah. fine. <laughs> <laughs> so I know that um, Jeff Gordon, Rick Hendrick – there's an easy to choose list of names that have influenced your career, but who are the people that influenced it in the first part? Like, who are some of the guys that maybe don't we don't we don't know their names? Sure, my my dad first and foremost. Um, what was his role early in your career? We so my grandparents owned a motorcycle shop, and we lived in an area where people literally just rode off you know from their driveway and be out in the hills, out in the San Diego area. A lot of big name motocross racers grew up in that area and had practice tracks all around. And that was just the culture. Just grew up on two wheels riding. We had the deserts nearby. We had the Colorado River in the summer, which then led to like stand-up jet skis. So kind of again in that, that you're in that, that position riding yeah. and racing things. So that was just my upbringing. And my dad was a huge sprint car fan. There was a lot of sprint car midget racing going on in the area. My dad also had a friend that raced an off-road stadium buggy. So between that whole mix of things and my dad's love of motorsports and his mechanical skills led to me being at tracks, me being at, you know, riding my own races to being at tracks, watching my dad work on, on race cars. So did you drive a sprint car ever? Never, never. My dad still gives me a hard time for it. Really? In his opinion, the bravest guys ever have driven a non-wing sprint car. And he has a not so nice term to call me since I haven't been in one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, um, so how did you get from two wheels to four? My dad worked on an off-road buggy and through that relationship ended up going to work for BF Goodrich Tires. Yeah. And when my dad worked his way up through the ranks of the tire company, the higher-ups at BFG um, were very eager to kind of help me and saw my commitment to racing and help, really helped me get my first ride, and then things just kind of snowballed from there. So what's funner, the stadium truck or the big tracks outdoor? The indoor track, which is what I call stadium, yep. Yep. or the big tracks out, you know, like digging in and running? Man, that's a tough question. Which one's more fun? Uh for me, I guess looking back, the stadium environment was was really special. And in the Mickey Thompson Stadium days, I mean, they'd I sell those things out. Loved watching that on TV. And I mean, a, a, I did not miss watching. They were out when of it was control. on TV. I didn't miss it. The fenders flying off and yep. and banging into each other. It was full contact. I mean, full it was contact. Hardcore. It, it was fun. I mean, that that element of being in a stadium and knowing those eyes were on you, you could hear the audience. Um, it, it, that, that was, that was really, really yeah. cool. What happened to that tour? Uh, sadly, Mickey Thompson was murdered. And then his son, Danny Thompson kept the, uh, the sport going for a few years and it, and it was hanging on, but honestly, 
the the demise of it all was the introduction of the NASCAR Truck Series. Really? When that oh. came along, because off-road racing was always supported by the manufacturers, from tire to vehicle. When the Craftsman Truck Series came along at the time, what it cost them to spend money on on one factory truck team in the on the dirt was for the entire budget of their their truck series stuff oh so just the the economics of it made way more sense to to shift to the nascar truck racing series plus they had a better platform to to show it and market it yeah so that Did you was ever it. race a truck one i drove that 81 truck that Randy Moss was partners with at <laughs> Bristol. Oh, wow. I remember that. Yep. How did that go? Randy Moss. I spun out and crashed. Oh. Um, I, I was running well. I, had, yeah. I, I don't know, it was third or fourth. Um, did he? Did Randy call you? It's Moss, baby. <laughs> That's how he introduced yeah. himself to you that day. Hey, yeah. it's Moss, baby. <laughs> I wish I would have saved his voicemail. I didn't know the number, and he called yeah. me, and he – Thanked me for driving his truck and went down this road of like, man, you scratched my back. I just, I can't thank you enough. You let me know. If you ever have an itch, I'm going to scratch it. You just <laughs> let me know. <laughs> That's awesome. That's crazy. Yep. So you raced in the sports cars uh, at Daytona 24 hours. Um, and you have said, you know, you've, you've been in conversation about retirement and what that looks like for you from time to time over the last couple of years. And you've mentioned that you have other uh aspirations of racing that you'd like to try or things goals out there that you'd like to do is that still the case it is Um, what are some of those races that you haven't done or that you might want to do again you know prior to driving that formula one car i i felt like some more off-road racing to kind of go back to my roots would be a lot of fun sports car 1000 you know, Mexico is a tricky place. Yeah. There's plenty of racing in the States that is, is way safer, but so I'd probably that start that there. style of racing? Yeah, or, or the short course stuff. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, the short course stuff. The stadium stuff's gone, but the, the outdoor stuff yeah. you're talking about, that's still healthy and, and doing really good. Yeah. And those vehicles have evolved so much. Like, I want to get back in one. I mean, they, don't, they used to be automatic transmissions, and now they're, they're manual transmissions, much more power to the tires, lighter vehicles, really, really cool yeah, trucks. Wow. Uh, but since I drove that Formula One car and you have two open wheel cars sitting on the desk, that experience is unlike anything I could describe. I mean, that was so much fun. So I don't know. We'll we'll see when I pull the plug. But I'd love to go do like a uh, some kind of road cor- road racing series in an Indy car. Um, uh, certainly look at any type of sports car racing. But that that was a really neat experience that I'd like to do more of. Where do you think you're? Where do you think you rank as a road course racer? I don't think that uh, it's my strong suit. But I feel like, you know, there, there are certain tracks that have, I think Sonoma's been really good for me. Yeah. When I've been in cars with more downforce and more braking ability, I've been much more competitive, like in those sports cars I, I have been. Yep. Um, I just think my driving style is, isn't ideal for a big, heavy cup car. And, and hopping in that Formula One car and having, having that chance to, to match Fernando's lap time, as yeah. I did in, in Bahrain, was kind of an eye-opening experience for me mm. that maybe maybe on a road course those fit my style a little bit more right that's how, interesting how would you describe your style what is your style i i have even still today on an oval i just i love the brake pedal and i think my upbringing on the dirt the brake pedal starts the corner for me okay and i'm so used to using the brakes to pivot the vehicle and turn the vehicle that there's just a habit of of using too much brake mm. and i think on the short run in a cup car I can create speed doing that, but on the long haul, you just start abusing the brakes, abusing the tires, and that kind of fades on me. You've always uh, said that you weren't, um, you didn't feel like that the Xfinity Series cars suited you. I've always tried to, well, I've always wished, I guess, privately that you would run 
some Xfinity races out of our garage from time to time because we've had guys come and go, uh, cup guys drop down in and run a race here and there. But you've always kind of said that those cars don't really suit you well. And I've always found that really fascinating. And now I think as we transition into the low horsepower, high downforce package that we have today, how have you tried could you give us specifics, I guess, on how you've had to evolve as a driver and how you've had to change what you do in the car to make those cars work and be For competitive sure. in those cars? Yeah, now more than ever, it would be good to get back in a car, so maybe we should have a, a conversation <laughs> and sort that out. I feel like, you know, at one yeah, point Yeah, these in cars kind of drive like the cup cars you were winning championships in now. Right. The Xfinity cars do. But they, at one point, they were so far apart, right. and I, I was They running. are very far apart now. You think even more? Hell yes. Really? Oh, man, these things are freaking hard to drive. Hmm. Like at Darlington, it's a handful. And I'm, I mean, you know, the cup car's got the giant spoiler and yeah. no down, no no power. And you would not want to be on, you would not want to do the same, you would not want to run both in the same weekend. Same weekend. Huh. It would destroy you. Hmm. Like, I All right, talk, scratch that conversation yeah. we're going to have. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was talking to Blaney about it at, at, at uh, Darlington. He's like, it, it, it kills you going back that, and forth. That was my problem before. It just, they're so they're, different. They're too far apart. And the other thing that's been tough for me is these guys, you know, at all these shops, especially here, they take that seriously. And yeah. I, I know the effort I put in day in and day out on my cup side, and I didn't feel like I could fairly put that in on a consistent basis on the Xfinity side. And that, yeah. that's largely been why. So how did you have to change what you're doing in the car, in the cup car, since the, there was a huge change in the rules this year? So what did you do as a driver specifically? Give these fans listening some nugget that they're going to sure. go, wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah, for me, I mentioned using the brake pedal, and there's there's certainly a set that I look for the car to take in the corner that that says stand on it from there. And, and it's always been a set that's been on the free side and required a smooth throttle application. And I've always felt like my dirt background, that's where that came from, and you just really had to be careful with the throttle and drive it with the right foot. Now that that's not the case, you know, entry speeds aren't as high, um, especially where the cup cars sit now, and you you have to use your speed in a different manner and and, and staple the throttle. So I've, I've spent my whole life developing a skill to be very gentle with the throttle, and now you've you've got to kind of anticipate the grip level and then just staple it again. So not only you know, but in both areas, in and off the corner, and it just takes a little bit of you know. It takes reps to get used to doing that. And I think that's what hurt me before with the, the Bush Series cars back in the day. I, I would take so long to get to wide open based on my natural mm. kind of tendencies that I just leaving time on the table. Wow. So that, that's something I'm working really hard at now. I'm literally trying to take my foot off the brake pedal and tuck it up under the brake and just, just let the air catch me, let the air help the car change directions and drive it more like a light switch. How does having all the telemetry of the other drivers help a guy like you? You won, you know, you've won and done... I know that uh, you know you you got all the statistics and, and and achievements, but I know also that you're a guy that looks at that and watches how guys use throttle and steering, and you're very open minded to changing what you're doing on the track or trying something that somebody else is trying. So now that you have everyone's yeah. information, um, how are you using that? Honestly, that's where I spend the most of my time getting ready for a race. Now, in the past, watch the race, watch qualifying, any in car. Um, that, that we might have. And it's been tough to look at any of that stuff the first half of the year because it's all the old package. But the uh, the ability to pick cars and to really follow through on a thought in your own mind, like, okay, I'm, I'm going about it this way. I saw whoever quick and blah, blah, blah. Let, let me watch them and maybe see why they were doing it. If it was 
their car allowing that to happen or their own driving style. So for me, it gives me a lot of rabbit holes to go down over the course of the week and, and really study people and, and show up to the track feeling confident in what I'm going to unload with. With all that information, uh, are you doing more during the week to prepare for races than you've ever done? Yeah, for sure. And, and, and that SMT application that we have is, is really where the bulk of my time has been spent. I still, my note taking and our debriefs are all still very similar to the way it's been all along. Um, probably a little longer on, on some of the debriefs, so a bit more time there. But the hard thing for me is we've, we've really struggled to count on the simulator as consistently as we need to. Really? And it's not the simulator's fault. Yeah. It's just we don't test. And you can't get accurate tire data. You can't uh-huh. get accurate track data. And I, I watch William Byron's in it quite a bit. And, you know, there's, there's some point in time of the weekend where we hear or read in their, the database and their notes that, man, the simulator did X and we tried that and it didn't, just didn't pay out, play out because the data isn't as up-to-date as we need it. Yeah, that simulator's always made me nervous to send you down the wrong path. Especially when you're trying to, trying to fine-tune. For, for big chunks of speed and to learn a track, phenomenal. But when you're really trying to count on it yeah. to apply that to your race car, that's tough. But you're, in your case, I mean, I'm hearing you say that, and I, and I can't help but think, man, to have the old testing rules would have really been a benefit to you if you're literally having to change your driving style and the things you were used to with this new car. I, I, I can't imagine how difficult that would be with absolutely no chance to have reps other than Looking at data and, and you know, simulate. Two simulator. 250-minute practice you. sessions. What's that? And two fifty minute practice sessions. That's all we get. Now. Right, right. Yeah. That's not enough. <laughs> and when you look back at the success of the 48, you know, one thing that, that I, I think was a major separator for us was my and, you know, Chad and I and our work ethic and our, our desire to test. We tested all the you did. time. I remember all that. the time. I mean, one year we won, I think it was like 08 or 09, we were, uh, we were struggling along in – and trying to win the championship clearly and we're able to, but we tested 22 times on top Holy of our cow. 38 races. That was my problem. I hated that. <laughs> well, that I, was, I didn't, I didn't that's love it, but that. it yielded yeah. results. And I'm like, the hell I would have been go. like, no, can't do that. I don't want to do that. I had some off weekends that we tested on that, that, uh, ruined. Whew. Yeah. Yes. Oh, what do you my. mean? I don't know what you mean. Well, you get you got an off weekend, and you, and Chad's like, we're going testing. Oh, I got you. So oh, the, yeah. the one that comes to mind, we're, we're going testing. I'd take my wife to be with some friends. We're down to Key West, actually. We go to Key West. I'm like, look, I'm just gone one night, right? Just two days of testing. It's the beginning of our off week. No big deal. We go to Kentucky and sit in rain for two days. Chad says, load it up. We're going to Nashville. What? Sorry, what? We're going to Nashville. We're going to go there and test for two days. I'm like, hey, babe. Um, <laughs> we go to Nashville. Rain's the first day. Still stayed two days in Nashville and tested. Five days. Five days. At a racetrack. Three of them raining. That's oh. Chad, that was Chad Canals. He's changed, though, a lot. He has. Since he's become a dad. He has. I, I agree. Yeah. I agree. His intensity is still there, and that is... He that, smiles a he lot. He smiles way more, yeah. for sure. Is this something that you used to note about how much he didn't smile? Is that God, what you, yes. you, you sit in, like, a debrief? Well, and I like, mean, it's just obvious. It's, yeah, it was pretty obvious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's a, he was a, um, he's a unique guy. <laughs> Kids will do that, too, though. <laughs> but he's much more normal now. See, the thing with Chad, I, I was always able to see, you know, the, the things that people see now... He and I were so close and spent so much time together. I would see that guy often. Yeah. You know, the, the racetrack Chad. Oh, the normal guy. The normal guy. Yeah, yeah I always called it off-season Chad. I mean, <laughs> he, he, off weekend or off-season, that, that guy is who, who many get yeah. to see now because he's a parent. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Uh, all yeah. right. You got uh, – you missed the playoffs, but you got 10 races. I know you're probably more – Hell bent to win one of those ten than you've ever been in your life for sure. Um, and 
that's already started. You know, you're you're you put out a video after the race is over with, telling your fans about y'all's initiative and your future. Um, so, how do you go about getting back on top in these ten races? Because that was that's kind of the mo for most teams and drivers. I went through that as well. When you get knocked out of a round and you're done, and the re- and those other guys carry on to the championship battle, uh, you want to spoil it. You yep. want to you want to take the spotlight. Um, so where are you going to go take the spotlight? Yeah, as you know, you're just you're looking for any fuel to pour on the fire to motivate yourself, motivate the guys. Um, and right now, we we really don't need any additional, but we'll take it. We, we know we're out. We know we have something to prove. Uh, but I, honestly, I've, I've been a part of some really amazing teams and teams where each individual inspires the other. And right now, the 48, it is the strongest I have ever seen with that environment. Um, I'm watching and living through our gains each and every week, the amount of detail that's going into each car, the extra hours these guys are putting in to make sure those details go on the car. And we're, we're seeing it on track. I know when you look at a stat sheet at the end of the weekend, our results haven't shown it, but we're, we're not far off. You and guys are running better. I think the stat sheet would suggest that you guys are, uh, have definitely seen improvement for yep. sure. Right? The, lap, I mean, the lap times are getting up there. Yeah. yeah. yeah we're, we're, we're getting there. So that, that, that part is just so refreshing and, and makes it feel like it's the start of the year and not the end of the year. And I hope, I'm hopeful that, that because it feels like the start of the year for all of us right now after a long, long year, that we're able to separate ourselves from uh, everybody we're around in the points right now because we can still move up quite a few spots in the points. And then certainly there's, there's 10 trophies to go get, and you count all those green and white checkered flags in there too. It's, it's just about capturing flags right now. That's, yeah. that's what we're there for. 10-4. Man, well, we appreciate you coming out here talking to us today. Hope you enjoyed coming by the studio, and uh, we would love to get you back out here Anytime, again. Anytime, buddy. I yes, appreciate sir. it. Thank you. We'll Thank get you. him back out here when he runs that Xfinity Series race for us. Yes. Yeah. That'll, that'll be uh, – look at him. <laughs> that's, that's our planning. <laughs> yeah. You'd like it. They, they, they're hard to drive for sure. you got to stand. Yeah. Thanks, Jimmy. you got to be easy on that gas. <laughs> Unfiltered commentary and an abundance of opinion. Mr. Nice Guy or Mr. Get the out of my way. Like Johnny Cash, we ain't afraid to walk the line. I'll walk the line. Listen to Door Bumper Clear. Available on all major podcast platforms. It burns, burns, burns. Ring of fire. Door Bumper Clear. Get up, get out of your bed, Hey everybody, it's Dale Jr. for the Ask Jr. part of the show, presented by Nationwide. I'm just going to answer some questions. Leah, Leah Vaughn, Leah Vaughn, she is our social media expert, knows everything there is to know about <laughs> the world of social media. We are so thankful to have her. And she is coming through all your questions, trying to find the best ones, and I hope you got a good one to start us out, Leah. I do. The first one is from Ryan Goodrum. He wants, uh, he's asking... Uh, is there any particular sport or location you want to cover for NBCSN? Um, you've been to the Kentucky Derby and the Winter Olympics. Um, is there anything you're looking forward to? You know, uh, can I be honest? No. Don't be honest. Okay. <laughs> Don't. I, um, <laughs> I know what you're thinking. I don't okay. want you to go there. I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, what, you know, the, the Summer Olympics are going to Japan and, it's during the two weeks off next year. So the schedule for the Cup Series was basically kind of built around the Summer Olympics because NBC does not want to be covering a race while they're also covering the Summer Olympics. And they want to focus on Summer Olympics, then get back to racing, so there's a two-week break. 
if I get sent to that, I won't be sad. I, I'm, I really, really enjoyed my opportunity to go to South Korea. thought that was just a really once-in-a-lifetime chance, to, and I'm going to make sure that Mike goes along as well to Japan. Really? Yeah, you you went with me to South Dude, Korea. I'm there. I got to take somebody. I ain't going well, all the way over there by myself. I know that, but Amy didn't want to go to South Korea last time. I she doesn't she... want to go to Japan either. Hey. She just doesn't really? want to be away from out of that long. I'll be your work wife for another yeah. week. So that I hope that we'll get maybe a four-nighter, <laughs> even a three-nighter. We yeah, we yeah. were there six or seven. Even a three-nighter. I don't want to be there for two weeks, but... If they send me over there for a couple of days, that'd be pretty nice. Because I just when I went over there in 1999 to race in the uh, NASCAR race at Twin Twin Ring Motel, what? Twin, yeah, yeah, yep. whatever it's called. <laughs> I wasn't a sushi guy. I wasn't anything. Uh, I wasn't. I wasn't about that Japan food at all. Oh, yeah. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> times are a changing. Yeah, now. buddy. Now I'm all about it. <laughs> I'm ready to dig in. <laughs> I want to go to that special sushi joint in the subway that they made that damn documentary about. Um, nah, I don't. Know. I, I I really uh, <laughs> I really want to go uh, just for the food. Honest to God, that's that's the truth. I want to go over there. I mean, obviously, I want to see the Summer Olympics, and it's going to be amazing. And See the best athletes in the world do what they do, but I I, I, I missed my opportunity in '99 to try out the real deal sushi. All right, Caden Brazel, he's joining us on YouTube, and he wants to know how far has the Nova restoration come along since you've heard about it last, or have you started any new projects? So here's a good one. I wanted to bring this up. The Nova car, it's uh, got the the uh, doors. The rigid, the doors are still on it. We put new quarter panels. I I'm not going to try to paint the picture for you because. I don't want to get it too complicated. But one cool thing has happened. I really needed a seat for this car. And and the seat I need is called a Banjo Matthews bucket seat, right? And they don't make them anymore. Uh, they, they moved away from those in the late 80s. So this the seats that are still around, the originals, are pretty banged up, pretty used up. And I ended up getting my hands on an old, old, just destroyed seat. It was so bad. Stunk, smelled awful, holes drilled all in it. It's just bad. But I got it from TJ Majors, my spotter. I don't know how really he attained it, but uh, don't ask any questions when you're getting something from TJ. You don't want to know where it came from. Just the fact that you got it is all that you care, right? So That's the truth. Yeah. So I got this old, chewed-up, nasty seat, and I sent it to Corey LaJoy. I called Corey, and I said, hey, you make seats. I need a bu- I need an old banjo. He's like, I'll make it so good banjo won't know the difference. That was his response. Corey LeJoy. Corey went to work, took this old junker that I sent him and used it either, a little bit. He used some of the stuff, but not much, and made a perfect freaking replica of a banjo Matthews seat. And I he asked me if I would sign the hood of his car that he raced at Watkins Glen. He did a charity. Uh, he had a great charity on that car that weekend. And Samaritan's Feet. There you go, Samaritan's Feet. He said, well, you, I donated a little bit of money, signed the hood of the car, and he said we were even. How about that? Mm. How about that? Very nice. That is and awesome. And Corey even delivered it. Well, he yeah. wanted to see the Nova. But he <laughs> brought the, the seat over here last week. So such a freaking nice guy. We were debating it with Corey right outside the uh, conference room whether to pull you out of the meeting you were in. Yeah. You were in a meeting, and, I, and he was here, yeah. and he said he was going to leave. I'm like, God, I know Dale's going to want to be down there with I you. I did. G- just Corey is a great, great guy and uh, does all kinds of nice things for people, and that was one of them. Very talented. Yeah, and he's talented. Daniel McCall, uh, he wants you to do a, a rundown of your new sim rig. Talk about your new sim rig. 
Well, I uh, I haven't got it yet. I think it's going to be another week. So uh, let me see. Sim Carolina Sim Works is the uh, company that I got my rig from. He's going to be thrilled that I uh, have mentioned him on social or on this podcast here. Here, let me draw. Let me Carolina Sim Works. He's local, uh, just above, just north of Hickory. He's done a lot of rigs for a lot of guys. I think that um, Noah's got one of his rigs. Noah Gregson, Paul Menard. Corey LaJoy may have one. He's done a lot of rigs for a lot of people, and um, we're working on mine. He built my rig, and I got over there to sort of set in it and get it all fitted up, and it didn't have paddle shifting on the steering wheel. And I'm like, I, I ain't going to use this manual shifter that's on there. I want a paddle shift. I don't want to move my hands off the wheel if I don't have to. And so he's like, really, paddle shifting? You're driving stock cars. You know, it's good. You know, you don't paddle shift in a race car. I'm like, I don't care. This is a computer. It doesn't know any better. <laughs> So we're, we're we had a little delay in the final finally getting it waiting on the paddle shifting and all that to come together. But I am excited. I'll have that rig maybe in a week from now or uh, maybe ten days from now. Pumped up, back on high racing, getting back to it. <laughs> all right, let's switch gears. Talk about football. Did you watch the game yesterday um, after the race? If so, how do you feel about our skins? That's from April. I got to. Uh, I obviously had my phone out while I was calling the race and uh, was checking in probably every half hour. And it was, you know, the Redskins, their first game, it seems to always do this. They'll come out of the gate great. They'll have a pretty good first quarter. And you're like, hmm, okay, we've been doing well. Everybody's been paying attention in training camp, and we got a good game plan. <laughs> and then we just quit. Like the, like the offense can't continue to score points. And the other team works their way back into the game, and they win. And we ended up losing 32-27. Who'd they play? They played the Philadelphia Eagles, which is, you know, everybody thinks the Eagles are great. But we came out of the gate, and I think we're up 17-0, or 17-7. But uh, it's very frustrating. But, you know, we'll see how it goes. We got a defensive tackle that's a very talented guy that has a um, sprained MCL, so a little concerned about that. But um, I'm just glad that fantasy football is back. I had a, uh, I had a really good, yeah. You, yeah. I won Leah? my first matchup. Did you? It's not over. There's still a game tonight. I know, but it's, you're locked. Yeah, it's over. yeah, it's over. Well, I'm I'm winning handedly in one league, uh, which is a couples league. So there's all girls in one division and all guys in the other, and it's wives and husbands. I'm playing. Uh, let's see. <laughs> Oh, Alexa Jordan. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's going to be Adam, awkward if you Adam's, figure out who you're playing. Well, they're, they're new to the league. Alexa right. and Adam Jordan. Adam was my interior guy. Yeah, super nice guy. Yeah. Uh, in the other league, I am playing Sonny Lunsford, my property manager, and he is winning 75-69. to 69. All right, That's And close. I have Hopkins from Houston's wide receiver oh, yeah. tonight, so that should put me over to win. Cool. Woo-hoo, that's exciting. Yeah, pretty exciting. All right, we have time for one more? One more, sure. All right, yeah. uh, we all know how much you love playing with Isla's taco truck, Melissa <laughs> writes in, but she wants to know what are some of the other favorite toys in the Earnhardt house? Uh, she she loves to come over and ask you if you're holding your cell phone, which we, we often are. We try not to, but um, she's also, she wants you to play Baby Shark. Comes <laughs> over and goes, shark, 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 shark. Do you sing shark. the song? Um, yeah, I'll Aww. sing all the songs. Sure, you want to sing when, yeah. You want to sing the songs. You want her to sing the songs, right? And so you want her to sing it with you. But uh, I'm also getting her into Elmo. And she, she'll she see him and go, Mo! <laughs> so Elmo's coming into the house. And uh, 
Let's see. Amy buys her. I don't even. I'm gonna, she's gonna be mad at me that I don't know the name of this company. But there's this company that makes all these very general, sort of basic wooden toys. That it's like a. It's just a box with with different ways to to reach in there, like hinged doors, swinging doors, and and you <laughs> just put balls, little stuffed balls in the box, and and it's basically to show them fundamentals, like opening things, velcro, how velcro works. You know, there's it's just a basic toy about uh, taking things and velcroing them to something. You know, I I don't even know that it's Amy's been one of these one of these toys from this company has been showing up like once a week for the last couple months and it's just very traditional i would say toys made out of wood that uh give isla sort of the basics of how something works how a door hinges open how uh how to latch something closed how to work velcro on and off to tie it to do your shoe or whatever so it's uh she's into that she likes those pretty much Let me All think. Right. she um our YouTube chat feed is now just everyone singing Baby Shark, which is pretty funny. <laughs> well, I would have assumed that somebody was going to be suggesting what those wood do toys you know, are called. Do you know the hand, the motion for Baby Sharks? Oh, yeah. There's uh, different ones. Oh, you should show us. Yes. Okay. So do you know them? I don't. You don't? No. Are your, kid, your girl's too old? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, mama's this, right? Mm-hmm. And then daddy's this one. Oh, yeah, I do know that. You're right. And then uh, grandma is this one. <laughs> I love right. that. I think and grandpa hilarious. is this one. That's yeah. all I know. And then they... They did yeah. this. <laughs> ah, it's like being at a Buffett concert. Yeah. <laughs> Fins up. He's <laughs> <laughs> training them for Buffett. That's what they're doing. Baby Shark is doing. What other? Is there so, there's like a different uh, child's sort of song that hooks like that, that hooks everybody over every five years or so. What are oh, yeah. some of the ones that I could do from the, that I could bring up from the past that she may oh. enjoy? Oh, damn, that's a right. good question. I was trying to think of it this morning, like, man, I really would like to get her into a couple other songs besides this one every day. There was one, not Wheels there of was, the Bus. There, I hate that. No, yeah. There, there was, yeah, you're going way back on that one. Uh, <laughs> there, there was one right before Baby Shark, right. I felt like, what was and it? I can't remember what it was. Oh, what does yeah. the fox say? Oh, yeah. really? All right. I'm what a, does I the need, fox say? Okay. Whatever. I need a, a little short list. To okay. introduce her to some things of the... Let's do it on social media. Yeah. Yep. That's right. It's a good idea. Yeah. Oh, somebody says Barney. Oh, that's I not love bad. Barney was you one. Yeah. Yeah. Tinky Winky and all those I don't remember that. idiots. On, <laughs> you know, what was that? Oh, the Teletubbies? Teletubbies. Oh, I no. hated those guys. I tried sure to get her. about them. All my nieces. Them. My nieces, man. I tried to get her to watch The Chef on Sesame Street. He's my oh, yeah. favorite. Okay. The, what is he? The, what is he Dutch or, you know. Uh, is it is Sesame huh? Street or is that huh? The Muppets? Is he British? Swedish. Swedish. And he just bangs around and drops him. Yeah. Destroys the kitchen. <laughs> I wish she loved him because I certainly love watching him. Uh, God, he's great. We're getting uh, some suggestions. The monkeys jumping on the bed song. Oh, that's, that's a, good a good one. That's a good one. I have My it. kids love that. We do that. We do that. She knows that one. Monkeys jumping on the bed and then the roll over, roll over. I'm a little teapot. I'm a little teapot. It's not bad. She does the spider up the drain. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's a spider. spider. She yep. does that one. Some of them are weird, like the um, Humpty Dumpty, and some of the older ones when you listen to them yeah. now are kind of. I really all I'm <laughs> looking for is all I'm looking for really is the pop culture ones of of the last five or ten years right. that have yeah. really you know kind of like Baby Shark come out of nowhere and it's, well, it's about a baby shark. I mean, it's really simple. What are some of the other ones? Old Town Road. <laughs> oh God, <laughs> I'm so sick. I'm gonna tell you something. The kids love that song. Not a chance. Yeah, <laughs> they <you>. do. <laughs> all right. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. All right, y'all. Thanks for tuning in. 
Uh, this is the Ask Junior portion of the Dale Junior Download, uh, presented by Nationwide. All right, All right. Uh, white flag. White flag, that thing, man. Keep coming, bud. White flag, bud. White flag, right there. White flag. All right, white flag. Let's uh, first talk about a thing called Time Machine, you guys. Dale Jr., we had uh, Matthew Dillner, James Brosan following you around at Darlington a few weeks ago. I guess it was just last week, wasn't it? Uh, and we're making a short film for the Dirty Mo Media YouTube channels. You should, should, should subscribe. <laughs> you should subscribe to it. Uh, what is that, Leah? It's uh, YouTube.com slash Dirty Mo Media. That's what it is. And uh, the Time Machine full video will uh, debut and live on that exclusively. So uh, we put out a trailer last week. Uh, did very well. Got people uh, excited about it. And I'm excited about it. So this is going to be a really cool uh, project. You'll want to check it out. Some new Apple podcast reviews from this week. Got a little bit of criticisms. Little Uh-oh. criticisms, Uh-oh. not not bad, nothing nothing major. But let's just uh, get into it. I don't know who this person's name is, but somebody said uh, the title of it was "Come on, David Dilner." <laughs> Here it is. I'm a longtime listener, first time reviewer. Love the show, and the content is always great. But I'm giving the Brad K episode a four rating. It would have <laughs> been a five, but the intro music sucked. <laughs> Good oh my lord. Gosh. Oh. I disagree with this reviewer, by the way. The I actual, thought the intro music was fantastic, Matthew. The actual artist uh, that was in it uh, tweeted us. Oh, really? And l- I loved it. Oh, I, I loved My- it. Derek Miner, he's an awesome DJ. Hey, listen, don't listen. I, I, I only wanted to include this review only to refute it, and we are now refuting it <laughs> and saying that, no, we disagree, respectfully disagree. Thank you. But the, uh, I thought the music, we're always, listen, we always hear it for the first time when Matthew plays it on the shows, Dale and I. So I always love hearing what you got uh, dialed up. All right. 07 Scotty wrote, I love the download and I listen in my patrol car while working the midnight shift. We've been getting a lot of those guys. That's I cool. mean, we, uh, we're big time with the police force now. Uh, but I, uh, so listens in the uh, patrol car at midnight shift. But I really wish you guys would have asked Brad about issues he had with Carl Edwards and getting to the point where his dad was ready to put the fire suit back on. Also, I would have wanted to hear how the Kyle and Brad hate for each other is going. Thanks and keep up the great work. I, my response to that was, listen, if we were going to go uh, deep dive into every dispute that Brad Kozlowski has ever had, we just don't have enough time in the day. If we had gone into any of the disputes, I wouldn't have even picked those two. I would have gone with Denny Hamlin back when he was driving for Junior Motorsports because we remember that one all too well. Uh, we didn't even have a pit crew fight on pit road. That was fun. And it's well. a good reason to have him back, man. And it's a good reason to have him back. That's right. That's right. And he'll have some new disputes and fights to talk about, too. So uh, thank you, though, 07 Scotty. Bible Web Guy wrote, Last week at Darlington, I purchased my first ever Earnhardt shirt. Growing up a diehard Gordon fan, the thought of me wearing Earnhardt gear would have been about as crazy as a Carolina fan wearing a Duke shirt. This podcast is responsible for making me a junior fan. So there you go. Some nice reviews. We appreciate everybody that did that on Apple Podcasts. Speaking of shirts, by the way, the number eight Darlington throwback T-shirts and hats sold out last week. A lot of people <laughs> expressed that. Also expressed, uh, you know, how do they get them? I'm here to tell you. ShopJuniorNation.com has all the hats of the throwback number eight Darlington gear and shirts. So you can find it there. ShopJuniorNation.com. Dale, on Thursday, you'll be at the NBC's event Burnout Boulevard, driven by Goodyear on the Las Vegas Strip. You won't be doing burnouts, of course. But you'll be participating in the event. In other ways, that event starts at 3 p.m. Vegas time. Is that Vegas is on Pacific, right? Is that Vegas is on Pacific time? I, can't, I always get it confused. Yeah. Yeah. So I that's 3 so. p.m. out there. Uh, and then a reminder that if you want to join the fight against childhood cancer, you can go to sockettocc.com right now and purchase socks. 
Dale has them. I have them. They're great. All proceeds go to the Dale and Amy Earnhardt Fund for Nationwide Children's Hospital. I wore mine Sunday during the race. Did you really? Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. They're cool-looking socks. Again, that website, SocketToCC.com. Lastly, I just want to hit this. The TV show this week is going to get some re-airs. This is a big deal. So our TV schedule on NBC Sports Network is on Tuesday, 5 p.m., 9 p.m., and again on midnight. That's three airings in one day. And then, oh, we're not done. Thursday, going to re-air it at 5 p.m. That's a lot. So uh, Jimmy Johnson, man, is bringing it for the TV people because they're loving it. So uh, thank you, for uh, Producer Brian, for all the work you do. And those TV shows just look fantastic, man, with all the B-roll and such. And uh, So, yeah, well, let's uh, hear some odd history. We have a twofer for you this week on odd history. All right. Yeah, all I, kinda, right. I really like this. Um, number one, the first cup race at Las Vegas was held in 1998. That's not that long ago. Right. We should all kind of remember that. The event had many celebrities on hand. Baywatch star Yasmin Bleet, remember that? Yeah. Was an honorary crew member for Dad's pit crew. Wow. The RCR crew didn't just have her as an honorary crew member. Nope. They put her to work. She cleaned off the grill of the number three Goodrich Chevrolet on pit stops. This isn't the first time Bleeth and Earnhardt worked together. The same year they were in a blockbuster hit movie, Basketball. <laughs> That's right. One of those big brand building right. movies that he did. Odd history number two today. This one is equally as awesome. Mike, did you know there's a connection between Jeff Gordon and Elvis Presley? I didn't know. I did not know that. When Elvis Presley performed nightly in Las Vegas in the 1970s, Jeff's uncle, Pat Houston, was the lead trumpet player in the King's Band. Houston was the older brother of Jeff's mother. Wow. Right? Yeah, Yeah. very cool. You'd think you would talk about that more. (laughs) I know. We found out some more information thanks to NASCAR man who dug up some of this in Carol Bickford's Pit Stop in a Southern Kitchen book. <laughs> so Carol Bickford wrote a book, Pit Stop yeah, I remember in a Southern that. Kitchen. Right. And the information in that book, apparently Pat had just come off the road with Presley in 1977 and was on his way home from Elvis's house when he fell asleep at the wheel and died in a car crash. Wow, this That's is ending. sad. This is yeah. I said this yeah. just took a turn for the worse. Six months later, Elvis too would pass away. I was a huge Elvis fan. Obviously, have yeah. been for years. Got a room in my house dedicated to the man with all kinds of stuff that fans have sent me. Had no idea that Jeff had this connection. Pretty interesting. I, I got next time I see Jeff, I got to bring this up. Kudos to NASCAR man for going into the old NASCAR cookbooks, so, cookbooks uh, to do his research. Uh, <laughs> it's really important. I think that we uh, we thank NASCAR man for his help with this, and basically he finds all this information. Not only does he share it with us, but he shares all of it on social media, on Twitter. Go to NASCAR man, follow. He's one of the best follows, absolutely, on Twitter. If you love history, especially odd history. That's a great show. Really want to thank Jimmy for coming by. Absolutely. Uh, don't hit the skip button there yet just now. Go, Don't go to the next episode or the next po- podcast. Don't run clear and all that. Um, <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Anytime we talk about Pristine Auction, uh, it's worth sticking around. You see, Pristine is an online sports memorabilia website where you can bid and win some authentic items. There are plenty of items to choose from. The auction styles are plentiful. There's auctions that last for days. Mm-hmm. Um, there's ones that are really quick. One-hour auctions. And then there's the 10-minute auction. I've signed for these guys. Everything that you bid on, you can trust that it's the true and real autograph. Its authenticity is guaranteed. So that's what I like about it. No fakes, no phonies. Those other phonies and fakes are out on the other side. So don't go there. 
This week, let's find an item that you won't have to break, break the bank for because it's a bank. <laughs> Ralph Earnhardt Diecast. It's a 1964 Ooh. Chevelle Dock Cycle Center out of Kannapolis, North Carolina is on the side of it. It's actually a Dale Earnhardt diecast, if you want to know the truth. Ralph Earnhardt did not drive this car. Oh, really? Because yeah. you can look right there on the door and well, see Dale, Dale Earnhardt as the driver. Ah. So we need NASCAR man in here to help yeah. you sort out Get this. Get Dillner out of here. Put NASCAR we man need in the we need, we need his help helping you sort through <laughs> this challenging history of NASCAR. Yeah, there's just a lot of pitfalls out there. In fairness, his name is Ralph. Just, they don't yeah, call true, <laughs> true, but no. I'm, That's not that where we messed up. Off, off that, I, I got, I got it. I'll raise my hand. I was right. trying. <laughs> oh, well. Go to pristineauction.com now. It's free to register, free to bid. And, of course, you only pay for the items you win. That's pristine auction, spelled P-R-I-S-T-I-N-E, auction.com. We say this every week, but we can't stress enough that when you register, please select the Dale Jr. Download podcast from the drop-down menu in the How Did You Hear About Us section. That tells them that we sent you. All right, guys. Hope you enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. Don't forget to watch the TV show this week. Also, if you want a little more entertainment, Door Bump Look Clear is a good option. There you go. We'll see you. This bit of badassery was made by Dirty Mo Media. Dirty Mo.